Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Lauren and RJ, the Frangie Show starts now on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Hey, welcome in, guys, along for the ride with Hayes Carlion, Lauren Brooks, and RJ Saunders. I'm Frank Frangie on a warm Friday as we get set for a really good NFC and AFC championship weekend. I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to a fun weekend. A lot of stuff to talk about today. Love football. Wish we were in it. Wish the Jags were playing in it. Um, I'm more confident than others that they'll be there sooner rather than later. I do believe that, but uh, we'll see. Um, defensive staff getting hired. Yeah. I got a thought about that, but we'll get to that. And I'm ready for football. You ready for football? Are you ready for some football? That's a new phrase. I just came yeah, up with that. I like it. I'm there very, may be something there. I'm very original. You, yeah. you, you'll find that out about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I am make a song abs- out of it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I, I, am, uh, I am ready. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's disappointing how the Jaguar season ended. Look, there's 28 teams that aren't playing this weekend. So, to get to this weekend is obviously very, very difficult. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll be able to do it in the future. Uh, but it's it's going to be a <laughs> massive challenge. And uh, But, yeah, very excited about the games coming up on Sunday. I, I credit the league every year for uh, – it's a 3 o'clock and a 6.30 start. That is perfect. They don't, you know, try to take up your, you know, night keeping you up till one a.m. watching this stuff. I mean, it's it's nice. You're you're out the door at nine thirty, ten o'clock, and we'll know uh, the Super Bowl. And and again, the NFL, it's it's almost foolproof. I think the matchup either way is going to be fantastic. I mean, probably Kansas City, San Fran would be the the real sizzler, the marquee, because you get Mahomes, and the 49ers have more casual uh, cred than Detroit. But if it's Ravens-Lions, Lamar Jackson going for his you know, first title against a team that hasn't ever won it, it's, I mean, it's going to be remarkable either way. Yeah, I think for the NFL it's foolproof with these four teams and the different storylines, but I'm with you. I think if the NFL could choose, they would pick the Chiefs and they would pick the 49ers with all the history and everything there too. Do you wish one game was Saturday, one game was Sunday? No. Okay. I, I get it. I get, but no. I'm, just, I'm, just something on you know yeah. Saturday to look forward to football. Yeah, yeah. You know, I hear you. Know, I I, I like I like the way they're doing. I think uh, I think uh, Hayes did it. I like the way they're doing it. I like the fact that it's three and six thirty. Uh, I I think they get the NFL gets most of that stuff right, and I think and I think they got this one right. So yeah, I, I am I'm very excited. About it. I mean, it is going to be fun. We, and, I, and I'll tell you that I got a lot. I got a lot of stuff about those games. I'm going to get to. We got a lot of stuff today. We're going to get to some of the hirings for the Jags. Uh, the carousel is almost over in the NFL. Uh, some thoughts about that now that we have it kind of in front of us. Uh, all kind of some college hoop, all kind of stuff. But I, I will say this: to the point you guys made, the baseball would prefer the Yankees Dodgers. The NBA would love Lakers Celtics, right? The NFL always loved Cowboys Steelers, but and then Patriots, whoever, and then Chiefs, whoever. But, you know, 
there would be a cool charm to the lion. You know that there'd be a there there would be a cool charm to it, for all the reasons you said before. I mean, they've never won it, they've never been in it, and all of a sudden, they're one of the handful of teams that haven't. But whereas the Lions aren't steeped in much recent tradition, you make the great point all the time, Hayes. That if you go through their press box, there's no there's nobody that played on color TV, you know, uh, other than Barry Sanders and 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 Megatron. Megatron and that, yeah. That's, yeah, and so your point's right. Um, but there's still a charm to that franchise because that city has such rich professional sports history. The Detroit Tigers are one of the most tradition-rich uh, teams in baseball. The Detroit Red Wings are one of the original whatever. You know, so um, the 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 Detroit Lions have been around forever. I mean, they had they had Alex Karras, they had Lombardi. So there's a charm, whereas there's not a charm to the recent incarnation of Lions. There is a charm to Detroit as a sports city, don't you think? No doubt about it. I mean, this is the kind of story America loves, and there aren't that many left. You know, the Cubs were this story for so many decades. Correct. And that's what made it so awesome when they finally won it. Uh, and it's, you know, same with the Red Sox and, you know, before then. And so anytime you get this in sports, you know, we didn't have a triple crown winner for so long in horse racing, and, and that was something that I always hoped I'd get a chance to see. Finally, uh, after 40 years, you know, we got one. Uh, so there are so few examples. Un- unfortunately, the Jaguars do remain one, although they're still such a young team in terms of how long they've been around. It's, it's hard to even put the, the Jaguars in it, but, uh, but the Lions are absolutely in it. And if the Lions are able to be the last team standing, I don't think they will be, but if they, if they are able to do that, I mean – what an unbelievable sports story. I mean, just incredible for all the suffering that those fans have gone through. And to do it, you know, I, I would say with a team that if Detroit ends up winning this Super Bowl, I think they'll be regarded as one of the, quote, worst Super Bowl champions that we've ever had because people are going to look at it and say, well, hang on a second. They don't have the first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback and – you know, that maybe some of these young players develop into unbelievable pros. But I think that almost makes it cool. They're, they're somewhat – they're kind of like the, the Dolphins' no-name defense in a sense. Like, it's just there's – they're as a team, they're special. As individuals, they're, they're decent. But there's something about them as a team that, that makes them extraordinary. When Dan Campbell was hired and he had the whole speech with biting the kneecaps – I laughed and I thought, okay, he's trying to play up his I was a football player, you know, meathead type almost type of right. it personality. Right. It did come off that way. Yeah. And now looking at all that they've accomplished and certainly if they're going to win this weekend and make it to the Super Bowl, I wonder how many more personalities like him get hired because he's inspired the football team. You might have been ahead of a little <laughs> bit ahead of my trend for today. I'm going to talk about head coaching trends that I think are very interesting. We're going to get to that because now there's still Unless I blinked, Seattle and Washington haven't made it official yet, have they? They have not. But other than that, I, but I do think Ben Johnson's getting Washington. I would be. I'm to the point now that everything you hear, I'd be roundly surprised if he didn't. So I read uh, yesterday they won't make the hires till next week. So. Yeah, and 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 Ben Johnson's got stuff to do. Yeah, I mean that's why interviewing yeah. coaches who are actively coaching, yeah. I think, is silly. Yeah. So, but 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 it, it but it really is interesting. I think the Lions, the De- Detroit is a sports city, and we spent some time up there. Uh, this this past fall or this past summer, the Jags uh, 
practice with the Lions, so we were around a lot. We went downtown, uh, had had dinner at the Detroit Athletic Club with Vaselli and a, a few other folks. Uh, Asher Grodman's dad is a member there, so he, he invited three or four of us down there, and we had a wonderful time. And it looked right into uh, Comerica Park, which is the old Tiger Stadium. And it's just a rich sports history. It really is. It's a very rich sports history for the city, city so it would be uh, interesting. So we'll talk about the game, what everybody can get out of that win, and what you'll think about whichever team wins if they win. I'll, I'll kind of explain that coming up a little bit in a little bit. There are some trends in the hirings. I think there's some, um, some interesting trends uh, in, these, in the carousel, and, and I think it will continue. We'll, we'll talk about that coming up as well. Uh, the Jags have a defensive staff. There's a very clear message there. I'll certainly get to what that is. UNF wins again last night. Now, Bellarmine's not very good this year. But UNF, uh, boy, this guy Chaz Lanier is playing, isn't he? Yeah, 33 points. Yeah. And, and, yeah, they, I mean, like you said, Bellarmine's not great. They're one of the worst teams yeah. in the A-Sun this year. But winning on the road is never yeah. easy. It doesn't matter I mean, what conference got, you're in. I'm telling you, they got it. we've all seen them. They have, they have a good team, Hayes. I mean, I mean UNF, oh, yeah. UNF they, I mean, they have a legitimately good team. Well, if you lead the nation in threes, you're yeah. probably going to win a lot of games. That's right. Uh, lead the nation. There's only 300-some-odd teams, so you're right about that. And speaking of college basketball, really interesting, the Florida-Georgia game, because Mike White comes back. Um, his tenure at Florida was so interesting. Um, he was the guy that had to follow the guy, which is the hardest thing to do. He's a good basketball coach. Might not be a great basketball coach. Might not have been the right fit there. He's at a place now where, by all accounts, the people that know him say he's wonderfully happy and he's made Georgia better than they certainly were before he got there. So I got a lot of thoughts on that, so that's coming up in a bit. I'm also going to talk about a football program, and it's not the Gators or the Knolls. It's not Georgia or Miami. The team that has my attention and probably a lot of others is the University of Mississippi. I mean, they just got two more offensive linemen from Washington that apparently are really good players. He's, he's now running hit in terms of the portal. Not just Louisville, who got a bunch of players. He, I mean, could Ole Miss win the damn thing? Could they win it? They can't be discounted. I don't think they'll win it. I guess that's the best phrase. Because there's still a team in Athens yeah, yeah. that I think is probably going to win this thing. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, me too, me too. Uh, but I could Ole Miss make a serious run at the national title? I mean, Absolutely. I mean, when is the last time the University of Mississippi football program has been all the talk? When Eli was there, it was some of the talk. Yeah. But when's the last time it's been the talk? Like Hugh Freeze was yeah. we were wondering how he was getting those recruits and, there. And how did he keep beating Alabama? Yeah. You're right. Good point. Good point. Hugh but Freeze, we knew there was something else going on. But you're right, though, Lauren. We probably we probably talked. That's a good point. You're, he was I, a pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you're right. Now that you say it, we talked more about the Hugh Freeze, Laramie Tunsil, Laquan Treadwell, Ole Miss team, even more than we did Cutcliffe and Eli, didn't we? The more, the more. Now that you mentioned it, it was even more recent than that. Lauren's so. drinking beers over here. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. I'm cracking <laughs> open the six. But I, the, what surprises me, she went with the bush light. Yeah. I didn't. She didn't strike me as a bush I'm light. I'm counting yeah. my calories this okay. January. Okay. Okay, that's very nice. <laughs> that was a lot of pop top, wasn't it? Yeah, like, Could wow. you hold it a little closer yeah. to the mic? Okay. You know, I, I need ears. Wait till we went to break, but then I realized it wasn't loud or anything. But I now need ear surgery. But other than that, so good lord. So, um, but yeah, we'll talk about that. So we got a lot of fun things to talk about. All right, let's get to it. A Friday, beautiful weather. Friday football coming up. Basketball coming up. Love a football and a basketball weekend. Uh, let's start with the Jags. I uh, made some defensive hires. We generally start with the Jags around here. This is ten ten XL and ninety two point five FM. The Frangie Show live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on ten ten XL. Hit back with Hastings. Now back to a Big Chief Tire Friday on the Frangie Show. 
Big Chief Tire. Visit BigChiefService.com. Thank Francie Hayes, Carline, Lauren Brooks, RJ Saunders with you on a Friday. We do thank our friends from Big Chief. Five locations now. That Orange Park is the newest one. It's fantastic. Two on the west side, the north side, and of course, Phillips Highway on the south side. You need tires. It's the place to go. Oil changes, brakes, alignments. They do it all. They'll take care of it. You can trust them, by the way. We take our cars in there. I send my daughter's car in there, my wife's car in there. Trust me. You can trust, my friends. It's big. Chief Tire Company. Sure are quite proud to have them as one of the sponsors of the program. Over 60 years they've done it in Jackson. Happy to uh, be a spokesperson for Big Chief Tire. I mean, that's very sincere. So the Jags have a defensive staff starting to take shape. One thing is very clear to me. Today uh, it is reported the Jags have confirmed it that Chris Richards will be a defensive assistant. He's a longtime assistant that's been all around. Uh, and Corey Robinson will be the cornerback's coach, according to one report. Both were uh, with um, Ryan Nielsen in New Orleans. Uh, but they've been around uh, Seattle as well. This could not be any more clear to me. This is now Ryan Nielsen's defense. I never got the sense, and I could be wrong, but I never got the sense that that Mike Caldwell was given the keys to the defense and outfit it your way. Now, he might have been, and it just didn't feel that way. But I never got the sense it was here. This is yours. You decide who the D-line guy is. You decide who the linebacker guy is. You decide who's going to be your right-hand man. This very clearly is Ryan Nielsen's defense. Everybody we've seen named so far, three names, very close to Ryan Nielsen. He obviously came with a folder of guys he wanted to bring if he got the job. Absolutely, and again, that's why I thought it would be – initially I thought it would be somebody with more seasoning because they were clearing everybody out – other than Shuey, really, uh, in terms of people that were actually assigned positions, and I, but but yeah, I mean the the plan from the time they fired Mike Caldwell was obviously that whoever it was going to be was going to be able to tailor it. I uh, and again, I I give Doug credit. Hopefully, Ryan Nielsen's the right guy for the job, uh, because I I do think the offense is a problem, and so if you've got a head coach that's a gifted offensive mind and the offense is regressing, then that head coach needs to focus on the offense. And whatever he's delegated, he needs to take back. And he needs a a defensive coordinator that can take that off of his plate for the most part and hopefully get it functioning at a a very high level. So uh, the construct of that plan makes a lot of sense. I am still surprised that he went with uh, a coach that's only been a defensive coordinator for one year. Uh, I would have thought there would have been more experience incoming, but uh, look, if he's if Ryan Nielsen's the right guy, none of that's going to matter. So I, uh, you know, I, I do think it's smart instead of having. You're sort of seeing this with the Gators now. You know, they 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 bring in a new coordinator, but clearly there were position coaches that weren't a lot aligned at all with with uh, uh, Austin Armstrong. So you know, it, it's it's certainly smart of Doug Peterson to say, look, I'm whoever I end up hiring other than Shuey, who we feel like we just can't like get out of the building after the years that Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker had, uh, other than Shuey, every, I mean, there's some assistant guys and, but in terms of guys that, that own a position group, I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to let Ryan Nielsen handle it. Yeah. And it seems like he's hiring guys who he's worked with before. So that means that they have a relationship established already. They know how each other work. And I think that's important moving forward, too. He's got a lot of work to do, Frank. I mean, 
if you take the first half of last season out, which we like to do for the year before, right. uh, and you only focus on the second half of the season, uh, they were really bad defensively. And so I think personnel-wise, they have plenty of time for that. But they've got, I think, a lot of decisions to make as far as scheme, too. People that are close to this guy, and we'll see if they're right or not. People that are close to this guy, Ryan Nielsen, I've been telling you this this week, thinks this guy's the next star. And again, I don't want to in any way disparage Mike Caldwell. I don't ever want to – Mike Caldwell was a nice guy. I really thought he was a genuine – and I thought he did fine at, at, at some points in his last couple – in those couple years here. But I don't remember anybody saying this guy's going to be getting head coaching interviews. I, I don't remember a lot of – maybe here and there, but I don't remember a lot of that. Um, you're going to – if it goes the way they think it's going to go, you're going to hear that a lot with Ryan Nielsen. A lot of people believe he's that, he's the, he's that next in line guy. Again, whether it's right or not, we'll see, but that is the belief. What's interesting is when we went to the first press conference that Press Taylor ever had, right. I remember walking away saying Same. he's going to be a head coach very soon in the NFL. First thing I said, too. First thing I had, the first time we talked, I think it was at Episcopal, wasn't it? What, wasn't the, was the first one at Episcopal? The first one was at the stadium. It was, okay. I remember one, the one I remember was at Episcopal. And I remember walking away from him after hearing him talking to Pittsburgh about the same. So we'll see. We'll see what winds up. But I like the fact that this is his defense, and I and I do. I like the fact that it that it is that it is going to be his defense. I am interested in the the um, the Josh Allen thing. You saw Florio's post today, no doubt. Yeah, Mike Florio. And clearly, Florio's close to the agent. So sure. So the the agent called Florio. What happened here is pretty clear. Trent Baalke said Josh Allen's going to be a Jaguar. Um, we haven't started talking to him yet, but we think the world of Josh, blah, blah, blah. Um, clearly, the agent called Florio and said, let me give you our side of this. And then Florio went with the agent, what, what, what the agent told him. I um, it, And you made the point yesterday, Hayes, that, that they should have been having conversations now, and obviously the, the Josh Allen camp agrees with you on that. I don't think Balky was trying to demean Allen. I think he was trying to compliment him. But at the same time, you could glean from that that what Balky's saying is he'll be here and we're not afraid to slap the tag on him if we have to. That's probably what bothered the Allen camp. Or, again, I think the agent who I think probably called Mike Florio. That's what, the, what I think it is. I, I don't think that Trent Balky, in his words yesterday, demeaned Josh Allen. But in his actions, I think he clearly has. I mean, it again, it just doesn't make sense that why wait? Why not go ahead and get it done? Yes, you, you have some time until you have to apply the tag and, and things like that. But I just I, – why wouldn't this be your first order of business? I just – it doesn't make sense to me because I don't think it's that hard. It's a big deal, but a big deal doesn't necessarily have to mean a complicated one. I mean, you have obviously recent contract – agreements that other players have with clubs that you're going to use as a barometer here. So, I mean, basically, in the end, you're going to be haggling over a fairly small amount of money when you compare the, the scope of the contract. So it just it doesn't it just it's just the way he conducts business. It's like, why be threatening? Why? Why have that mentality of well, you know, I mean, he's he's definitely going to be here. I can tell you that because I, I may, you know, basically, I, I I may tag him and I and look, that's not a good thing. Uh, that is, Josh Allen is counting on getting a nice signing bonus this spring, ideally this winter, but but certainly this spring. And uh, you know, if he gets tagged, 
He gets nothing. He then has to wait to get his first check until the first game week, which is September. I, I, I just, to me, it's just, it's just, to me, it's poor leadership. I, I understand that, you know, there, there's a time and a place to be tough at the negotiating table. But I think when a player gives you the season Josh Allen had, when he rewrites your record book, I just don't know how you, you don't treat him with the utmost respect. And again, I, I agree with the agent on this. Just pick up the phone and say, hey, uh, you know, to, to Josh's agent and be like, look, you know, I'm doing my season wrap-up today, and obviously I'm going to talk about Josh. I, I just that's want a, you guys that, to that, sort of know that, that's the best this, is, this is sort of where I am with it. Uh, and, and so, again, it's, look, it's clear he doesn't think the world of Josh. Clear. I mean, his actions tell you that. And if it wasn't for the Calvin Ridley thing, I don't think there's any doubt he tagged Josh Allen. The only reason that he may not is because I think he does like Ridley because he brought him here, and I think there's a part of him that knows that if I, if I have to tag Josh, Calvin is probably going to get an offer from one of the other clubs that's going to be hard to, to match. So I, I just think it's been poorly handled. It's just, it's just bad leadership. Josh Allen gave you supreme production. No one could have said 17 and a half sacks. No one would have thought that. And it's not just that he got them when, you know, the Jaguars were down 20 points or up 25 points. I mean, this to me was a 17 and a half sack year. There were a couple in the opener against Indy where he basically shoved Richardson out of bounds for no gain and got a sack. Well, there was also one that he got cheated out of off of a brutal roughing the passer call uh, that should have absolutely been a sack. Uh, so I, I just... I just think you have to, in a position of leadership, treat people the right way. And And I don't think he's doing that. And I totally get Josh Allen's camp squawking to Florio about it. When you, by the way, when you have 17 and a half sacks, you're going to have a few gimmies and you're also going to have some that you got screwed out of. That's, that's common sense. If you have, if you have 17 sacks, that means you probably played every passing down. And so you're going to have some good ones. Yeah, I agree with you. Hopefully they'll get that done. And hopefully the conversation begins. Uh, moment, uh, sooner rather than later. I'm guessing you weren't surprised to read that Josh Allen's camp wasn't thrilled by that yesterday. Um, I didn't. I, I, I'm not surprised to know that. Okay. I was surprised that Florio had it so quickly. Okay. So I, I that Florio having it that quickly, Mike Florio's busy enough that he's not calling around. So he got a call. So the 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 agent called Florio. It's clear when he says sources in the you If you read that thing. It, it couldn't be any more clear to me that Mike Florio talked to the agent. Well, and I also that, – that, that, That's 100%. I also think there's this uh, when it comes to the media that cover the Jaguars nationally. I think there's this perception of, boy, the Jaguars just can't get these things right. I agree with And that. it goes back to Coughlin and getting in trouble with the PA uh, and, and the PA issuing a statement basically saying, do not sign there if you can help it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's not 20 years ago. That's still fairly recent history. And then you do have the Jalen Ramseys, the Ngakwes, the The Jaguars just can't ever seem to gracefully get to the finish line of a second contract with a star player. And it's like, why can't they do that? Every other organization is able to do this. I, I don't think the Josh Allen contract negotiations would be contentious anywhere else. 
why are they here? Because Trent Baalke didn't draft Josh Allen and he'll just never get over that? Well, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. You're the, you're the GM. You're the leader of the organization. This was your best employee last year. That employee should be rewarded. Yeah, and, and I, hopefully that's where they'll land. Hopefully, even if there was some belief early on, before this season, mid-season on, that he might not be worth the money, hopefully from that point to now, that has changed. So we'll see. We'll see what winds up happening with Josh Allen. The good thing is we got a lot of time. Oh, yeah. And, and, and again, thing, the, the thing, just real quick, the, the thing, too, to keep in mind, the tag is not a reward. No one views it that way. The franchise tag is an albatross. That's how it is viewed by the players and by the player agents. So to say, well, yeah, but they're going to tag him. So, well, that's A, it's a sign of disrespect, and B, it hurts him financially. So it, it's, that's not a, a, a good plan B. It is an insult to tag him. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Number one, I don't completely agree with that. But I, I get your point. I think somehow when Evan Ingram got tagged, everybody knew where that was headed. Now, maybe every situation is different. Evan wasn't offended because he knew at some point he was going to get a deal. It did lead to not being around, and, and, and let's see how long it takes. But in that instance, I can tell you when Evan Ingram got tagged last year, Evan wasn't going. How could they? I think everybody knew that was a let's let's uh it was let's keep the seat warm until we get it figured well, out. Well, Evan had been here one year, yeah. Well, no, so Evan wasn't entitled to be like, how could they do this? Josh yeah. Allen has been here for years. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. I'm telling you, I don't think unilaterally the tag is an insult. I don't believe that. What I believe is you're one. The other thing you said I agree with, and that is he didn't want to be tagged. He wants a long-term deal. He wants to live here. His kids want to live here. He's building a house. He wants to be. He loves Jacksonville. I agree with that. But I, but I don't think, and and I don't think it's going to come down to a tag. By the way, I, I'd, I'd be very, if if for no other reason than what you said about Calvin Ridley, I don't think, I don't think it's coming down to a tag. I think it's coming down to a deal. But this this isn't look, this isn't the first time star player and franchise weren't on the same page in January. This isn't this isn't. Um, News breaking. This is star player who 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 had big year in his contract year, and team not being on the same page. That is that's common stuff. If you now were the that, GM, that, I mean that, that I mean I'm telling you, every sport star player um, is okay but not great until contract year goes goes off in contract year, and then there's a it, you know what I mean. That, that's not that's not news. That that's not unusual. Now if it, now if it goes. We all hope it gets settled, but it's not an unusual circumstance. If you were the GM, would you have reached out to Josh? Before yes, I think, yes. I, th- I, think, I, think, I think that's a very good point. Let, Hayes' point is do what you can to keep it from getting contentious. Right? Do, take, the, take the common sense steps to not allow it to become contentious. That, but that, by the way, to your point, if I'm not putting words in your mouth, no, that has nothing to do with money. That's not right. a money conversation. That's leadership. That's a leadership conversation. Correct. And that, that's exactly right. So, no, I, I agree with that. I just think, again, generically speaking, top high draft pick, plays well one year, not quite as well a few years after that. In the contract year, has an enormous year. Now the team and the, the, team and the player have to work, spend some time getting on the same page. That is not an unusual circumstance. It's not. It happens all the time in sports, as long as it gets solved. Now, to Hayes' point, if there if if there become if it if it becomes contentious, 
and it takes too long. And it, that's a bad thing because where you're going with this, I think, is Jags haven't had a whole lot of guys like that. The Jags haven't had a whole lot of stars. We, we've all said one of the problems is the lack of stars, right? I mean, that, that, so now you have a bona fide star who represents your team wonderfully, who's, a, who's one of the best guys in the locker room, who was one of the best pass rushers in the most elite position in the NFL other than quarterback in the league. Don't let it get contentious. Get this done. I hear you. I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with that at all. But, I think, but I'm not surprised in January it's not done. I guess that's the point. I do think you're right. Okay, let's get let's get going. Let's let, let's pick up the phone and go. We'll see what happens. But back to the point of the, the topic when we started this thing. I like the fact that there's a defensive coordinator coming in here, and this is his defense. And I think he's going to be the head coach of the defense. And and no, it's not a guy that's done it for 20 years, which is what. Look, that's what I called for. I I, I wanted it to be Wink or one of these guys who had done it a long time. But I like the fact that they trust this guy, they believe in this guy, and I think they have handed him the keys to the defense, and I'll be interested to see where that goes. We'll take a break. I want to talk about the coaching carousel and an interesting trend developing. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. more of Big Chief Tire Friday on The Frangie Show. Family owned since 1961. It's Big Chief Tire. Always a Big Chief Tire Friday here on The Frangie Show. I don't know this song. What is this, RJ? Fight Like a Brave. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. I like Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's really old chili peppers. Okay. It's good. Well done. We need a little rock on this Friday. Frank Frangie, Hayes, Carline, RJ Thunders, I am Lauren Brooks. All right, Frank, you think there's a trend in the NFL head coaches being hired? And I saw it coming, but I think it, I think it is, and, and I really do. Now, look, the uh, seven coaches have been hired, two that have had te- been head coaches in the NFL before. Obviously, Harbaugh was the, um, was the uh, 49ers head coach 11 through 14. Raheem Morris, people forget this, by the way, Hayes, that Raheem, Raheem Morris was the head coach of the Bucks from 9 through 11, right. and also the interim coach in Atlanta a couple years ago. Um, but Mayo, Pierce, Morris, um, I think uh, Brian Callahan and Dave Canales. It is clear now that that for better or worse, number one Hayes hire the undefeated guy. Everybody wants to hire the undefeated guy, the guy that hasn't done it before. We are winning press conferences left and right. You know what we got? We got good looking guys. We got in shape guys. We got guys that that's who's getting jobs. The tough nosed guys. I think everybody's for the longest time, everybody wanted to hire, rehire Andy Reid, the offensive mind who called his own plays. That's why Cliff Kingsbury and Zach Taylor and LaFleur and they all got jobs. Let's rehire the offensive coordinator slash coach who calls his own plays. Right? That, that, so that was everybody's trying to hire that guy. They're trying to hire Andy Reid. They're trying to hire guys like that. Mayo, Pierce, Morris. You know what we're trying to hire now? We're trying to rehire Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh and Dan Campbell. Tough, physical leaders. D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryans is the best example. We're trying to, we're trying to hire tough-nosed leaders. And, and I'll get your attention because I'm tough and, I, and, and, and I'm legit. And, and they're authentic, too, by the way. I'm not, I'm not saying it's fraudulent. But that's who people are trying to hide. That's the new wave. 
the, the hard-nosed defensive guy. Now, look, Brian Callahan and Dave Canales are offensive guys, but they're the offensive version of that. Hard-nosed leaders that you will respond to because of the, the authentic yet toughness with which I lead. That's the trend today in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, the average age, uh, particularly if you throw Jim Harbaugh out, who's sort of an outlier. but In this case, he is because, because of the timing of the Harbaugh stuff. Yeah, but even if you included him, I mean, of the six guys that have been hired, I mean, the average age, Harbaugh is, what, 60? So, I mean, you're talking about probably an average age of 47. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's with a 60-year-old in the group. And if you take him out. Oh, then the average the age is like. 41 probably. I mean, it really is. I mean, that that's that's but, but it's young. I mean, I, I really think the D'Amico Ryans is the perfect example. They wanted D'Amico Ryans to be Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh and Dan Campbell. That's who they were trying to hire. Tough-nosed, defensive-minded connectors. I can connect with you because I've been there. I've been in it. And I think it, it was interesting that this happened in the, the AFC South. Uh, but I agree with you because the defensive guys, I think, are very much like, well, let's go get the next D'Amico Ryan. So, I mean, again, Houston was supposed to win like four games. They end up winning the division. They, you know, have this unbelievable year. Well, Shane Steichen had a, had a fantastic season. Great point. I mean, he is legit, unfortunately. Uh, and That's a really good point. He lost his freaking fifth overall pick, who was supposed to be his quarterback. Yeah, and still was able to produce. And didn't have Jonathan Taylor really right, right. at That's all. Right. But right. with right. Zach Moss, had an unbelievable, got an unbelievable year from Zach Moss, turned Michael Pittman from a guy that looked like just sort of a ho-hum possession receiver to now Pittman's going to get unbelievable money in free agency. And so I think the Tennessees that hired Callahan and Carolina that, that hired Canales, it's, it's like, well, let's go get Shane, the next Shane Steichen. So it was almost like, unfortunately for Jacksonville, there were two beacons of new models for coaches, and they both reside in your division. One's the defensive side of the ball and Ryan's in Houston. The other's on the offensive side. And Shane Steichen, who had never been a head coach, was just a, you know, a, a talented, up-and-coming offensive mind and shows that he can, he can lead a room. And, and D'Amico Ryan's is you know, probably going to win coach of the year. The average age without Harbaugh is 42. The average age with Harbaugh is 45. Kind of what you said, yeah. So, so it's, it's right in there. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I think that's the guy you want. And so, uh, and we'll see. We'll see if it turns out that way. Look, my take on that is a good football coach is a good football coach. He might be a 61-year-old guy that calls his own plays. He might be a, a 42-year-old guy who's a tough-nosed leader who's never been a coordinator. It's a, there's no rules. Uh, the, the one thing we have figured out is we've seen it all. We've seen, we've seen all the different incarnations of coaches. But I will tell you this. I do believe one thing they all have in common, better than X is they're leaders. Leadership matters. Toughness, culture, believing in your guy, trusting you. That matters, man. That, that really does matter. Again, I keep, I'll, I'll keep going back to this Ryan Nielsen guy who the Jags brought in. I, I've never met him. I've never seen him in person. But everybody thinks he's that kind of guy, which is good stuff. So, And I think we're certainly seeing it in these hirings. Outside of Harbaugh, is there anyone that you would categorize as an old-school football coach? Well, well, it depends on Pierce what, probably will yeah, be. Yeah, because Pierce was under Coughlin as a player. Yeah, so I mean, he may take some of that from Coughlin, and, think, and he's reached all, out to him to help him build his staff. But I think all these guys are that. I, I think I think Dan Campbell's old school. I, I think uh, I, you mean the new guys. Yeah, the you, new guys. Yeah. I feel like they're kind of going away from that. 
the scream into mean type of well coach. that's well that I hear well that's different that's yeah. that doesn't work anymore I think that's the evolvement yeah. of old I school so. yeah. and I would agree that they yeah. probably aren't yeah. going to do that yeah, that that doesn't work anymore but yeah. Mayo I mean Mayo yeah. and Pierce or Coughlin yeah. Belichick yeah. I mean I would yeah. assume but I but I think today's because that's a good question Lauren I think today's old school guy doesn't scream into mean he encourages but he's still loud and intense and in your face he just does it in a different way I think old school football. The more you could yell at someone, I've told this story many times. My friend Bob, my friend Bob West. When I got out of college, when I got out of college in 1980, I was really torn. I don't know I've told you guys this story before. I was really torn between being a a sports writer, which is my major with journalism, or being a coach. My minor was education and and or or in a, or PE and, and coaching and going coaching baseball and teaching. English. And so I was, I was really torn. I was really torn. So Bishop Kenny offered me a job and uh, almost right out of college because Bob West, who's the athletic director of baseball coach, is a great friend. And he said, listen, you will be assistant baseball. You'll be assistant baseball JV, maybe head JV coach, assistant baseball varsity. Uh, you'll get another stipend for coaching assistant football. And and you'll teach our journalism class in four or five English classes. And I, and I was really excited. About, I mean, I was real close. I, I mean, it was and the, I had an offer from the Times Union, too. So I'm you know, both of them big dollars. You know, <laughs> fourteen three, and Benny's. And, and you probably would have made more as the teacher slash coach. It was very close. They they were, they were both very close to be honest with you. So, but and bottom line, so I'm back and forth, back and forth, right? But Bob West and I've laughed about this. I said, Bob, I said the problem and the hole in that plan is, I wasn't a football player. You know, I'm a baseball. I'm ready to do this, but I wasn't. I'm, I, I, I wouldn't be able to coach football. He said, yeah, you could. Just come out and yell all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> he said, come in there and yell all the time. You'll be good. So yeah, that was the old school football coach, right? Just come, just come in there and yell all the time. So, and he was kidding, but you get the point. But I think that's changed a little. I, I think that I think what's changed is is uh, is encouraged. But I, but I I, I kind of like this group of coaches. I, I I think you know Pete really Pete Prisco is a big believer in Raheem Morris. Thinks he's going to be good. I think Mayo and Pierre D'Amico Ryan's is fantastic. And I and I think I get the sense that May and so is Dan Campbell, and I get the sense that Mayo and Pierce are like that, don't you? That they're like those guys, which is one more reason I can't believe Mike Vrabel doesn't have a job. I know because he's he's the quintessential that guy. He he's that guy uh, on top of all these guys, you know. So I can't believe he doesn't have the job. I, I think that's the our a job, and and I and and again, there's two jobs open, but there I think are. Ben Johnson's getting Washington. I, I'm convinced of that, and so yeah, and who knows? I mean, a lot some of these. Searches have ended in surprising fashion. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. Who knows if there's a surprise awaiting? You know, whether it's Washington or Seattle, yeah, but yeah. and it's somebody that, you know, maybe it's Aaron Glenn yeah. in Seattle. I mean, it's just you just don't know. That's right. That's right. You're exactly right about that. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, let's talk about the games. Oh, there's two good games on Sunday afternoon in America. I mean, America is a good place for those two ball games. It's, it's Can a, you imagine what the ratings are going to be for those games? <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, I mean, I mean particularly the unreal. first one. Real. And I saw yeah. ratings better at night. Does it matter? I would think better at night. Yeah. But because the first game is the game. The first game the, is the, the game. The Mahomes-Lamar game is the game. Right. And I think traditionally the AFC goes first. Yeah. I think no. I don't think this is a matchup. I think is that right? Does I it? think it feels like historically I the either. AFC plays its game first. Huh. I and then the it. NFC. I just figured the NFC was last because San Francisco was on the West Coast. Yeah, and maybe that's why it they've yeah. structured well, it that maybe way. Maybe, but I, oh, I mean, I, I could be wrong. That's just the way it, it feels. But either like way, the it's, AFC it's, always goes first. But it's certainly first today or yeah, this it's week. First this week, and uh, it's going to be heck. Let's talk. Let's let's take a break and talk about those games. It's coming up. Stay with us. 
The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Time for all things Jaguars and NFL with Pete Prisco. The Prisco Report, presented by Showtime Sports Cards and Collectibles. Showtime. On The Frangie Show. We do thank our friends from Showtime Sports Cards and Collectibles. Man, they've got the best vintage cards and so many autographed items. It's the place to go if you're a collector. Head to Showtime Corner of Phillips and Shad. You can always find them on all the social channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Pete, how are you, buddy? Good. How are you guys? We are fantastic. I'm going to get to the games in just a second. Two fun games coming up for sure. But let's start with Ryan Nielsen. He is the new Jaguars defensive coordinator. The people with whom I speak, Pete, think very highly of the guy. You would know better than me. Uh, were you surprised? Did you expect it? And what do you think of Ryan Nielsen? I think it's a really good hire. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, relates well to the players, that ha- has had success, uh, you know, as a defensive line coach and then as a coordinator, uh, which, you know, you saw what they did in Atlanta last year, and that's not an overly talented defense, and, uh, and they got much better. So uh, I do think that's a really good hire for them. Uh, you know, he, he brings Chris Richard with him. Uh, he's been around the league as a, as a secondary coach. He's very familiar with him as well. I've worked with him before. So I, I think that's a step in the right direction in terms of what they'll do defensively. Now, having said that, I don't, you know, Trent Balky said yesterday they don't play a lot of man. He played a lot of man, a lot of man. Now, there's disguises on the back end and that kind of thing, but they play a lot of man on the outside. So, uh, you know, what does that mean for the cornerback position uh, going forward? And do they have to address that early or maybe even in free agency? Is this good news for Trayvon Walker, Pete? I think it is. I think it is. I think I think he's an end. I mean, I think he's a big end, and and I think putting his hand on the ground will be good for him. He's going to be a much better player. I, I you know, I really believe that he has the skill set to be a, a dominant edge player from a down spot. You know, and he just you know standing him up, it just it, it wasn't right. It didn't look right. Um, so yeah, I think this is a great move for him. Pete, was there anything from that press conference yesterday with Trent Baalke that surprised you? Uh, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, how many different ways can, can I go through it? I mean, he basically laid out the coaches, blamed the coaches, uh, defended Luke Fortner when everybody in the world knows that he, he's not very good in the middle of that line. Um, you know, uh, said that he's going to get Josh Allen's not going anywhere, but hasn't talked to his representatives yet. Um, you know, disputed the fact that there's a rift and separation between coach and, and general manager when everybody knows there is. Uh, also, uh, you know, when, when I mentioned the possibility of retirement, that wasn't something I made up out of thin air. He, he's mentioned it, so he also disputed that. So there were a lot of things um, that he said, and, um, you know, he, that was a vintage Trent Balky press conference. And here's the question I have. Why was he by himself? Why wasn't the head coach with him? Why wasn't there solidarity there? Why weren't they? Why was there a show of solidarity between the two of them? And, and he's by himself. That's just, it was weird. The whole thing just was weird. And I'm sure you guys went down there, or at least you heard it. I, I'm curious to see what you guys thought. I, I heard, we all heard it. Uh, Hayes was out down there and asked a number of the questions. So, and uh, Doug was in the building. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was bringing, he was showing Nielsen around. Okay. So, so, so what he could have yeah, been there. But he wasn't there. part of the press. No, I, but I'm though. saying like he could have been. Yeah, he yeah. was in the, the yeah. Miller election. Yeah, I think their thinking was Doug spoke after the season. Now yeah. Trent spoke now. But let me, let me go back. Let me back up before. So, I, I, and, I, and I, Hayes can weigh in on his thoughts in a second, Pete. But let me back up. Where's this thing headed then, in your mind? I mean, you, you know the Jaguars as well as anybody knows them, even though you cover the entire league now. 
Is it headed for a breakup down the road? Is it? Uh, are they going to work comfortably together? Because I'm like, they're, I'm different. I, I still think they've got a pretty good team. They're, they're, it's flawed. We know that now. They've got to fix the, the lines of scrimmage. We know that now. But I still think there's more good pieces than maybe some other stink pieces. So where is this thing headed with Trent and Doug and the whole bit, in your mind? Uh, you know, one of them will be probably gone. If they don't win next year, one of them's definitely gone. Maybe both of them. So um, I just don't understand how he can sit there and say they're not a physical team when he put that team together. Yeah. Is, when you say that and you drafted that team, are you indicting the coaching staff when you say that? It sure sounds like it. Um, so I just think there was, it was a lot of finger pointing without finger pointing. You know what I mean? I think there was, it was a lot of that. I'm not to blame. We just have to get an identity. Who's that? When you say you need an identity, who is that blame going to? It's going smack dab right on Doug Peterson. And when he's, and when he's asked something that's clearly a mistake on his part, his response is, I don't live in the past. I don't live in regret. I mean, that's not leadership, Pete. No, it's not. And, and, and look, should he be still the general manager of, the, of that football team? No, he should not be. Um, you know, he was there when Tom Coughlin was there. Tom Coughlin goes, get him out, get gone. Okay, Dave Caldwell's there. Dave Caldwell, get him out. He's still there. He brings in Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer goes, he's still there. And now he's got Doug Peterson, and it's clear that he's throwing the coaching staff under the bus, and he's still there. So, I mean, I just don't understand why they keep him. I mean, why does Shad Khan keep him? I don't under, It makes no sense to me. Okay, look at his draft last year. If we say, okay, oh, look at that draft. Okay, the first-round pick was a good pick. Two and three. Every tight end in the league catches passes except the one he drafted. Every one. I mean, the Packers have two of them who caught passes. Every single one. And, and so I just don't understand it. There's, there's a, a real allegiance to him in that building, and I don't understand why. I certainly can't answer that question. Uh, we certainly still have free agency, but which, what is your early lean on that 17th pick? What position do you think it'll be? Big. Somebody big. And, and I, you know, again, it depends on what they do with Ridley. Uh, it depends on what they do with, I, I mean, Josh Allen's coming back one way or the other. He'll be back. But it depends on that. But they need to get bigger and tougher. Uh, I mean, and what was the thing about Harrison going to left tackle? That basically, are you telling everybody that Cam Robinson's gone? Is that it? Is he gone? Well, and now you move Harrison to left tackle, and then you're going to be forced to draft the right tackle then. Yeah, he wouldn't come in. He, when he was asked about Cam Robinson, he was like, I don't want to talk about guys and whether they'll be here or not, even though 30 minutes prior he had done that with Josh Allen. Um, and then it was part of that question was, could Harrison play at left? And he said yes. So he didn't really weigh in on Cam Robinson, whether he'll be here or not. Pete, I'll give you my take on that. I think they see Anton Harrison as a left tackle. I think that's what they think he is. I think at some point this year, and I want you to weigh in on this, I think at some point this year the plan would have been, and I don't know, this is my read on it, uh, to, to, not, to, not, to cut Cam Robinson and save $16 million, to move Anton Harrison to left tackle and play Walker Little at right. I think that was the plan. My question is, because the offensive line struggled so much, do you rethink all of your thinking about the offensive line, including Cam Robinson? Agree or disagree with some of that? Yes, I agree with it 100%. You, you have to get bigger and tougher on that offensive line. Now, whether how, how you do that, if that means moving Anton Harrison, the left tackle, and drafting a right tackle in the first round, 
um, than, you know, because, look, Walker Little wasn't very good at right tackle, remember? He just wasn't. He wasn't very good over there. Right. Uh, so if he's not playing and he's a swing tackle, that's another swing and a miss. So I, I think they have a lot of decisions to make. I think, the you know, the interior of the offensive line, he, he can talk all he wants about Luke Ford. If he's the center next year, they're still not going to be a tough physical team. They're just not going to be. He's not good enough. Uh, you know, Sheriff's going to go. We know that. He, he's going to save money by getting rid of him. I think they try and bring back Cleveland um, on a on a you know decent deal, not nothing extravagant if he can. Um, but yeah, again, I, I think they have to draft the center at some point in this draft. And you know, maybe the second, maybe you go, maybe you go tackle and and in the first round and center in the second round. Maybe you do that because they have to get better on the offensive line. The, the quarterback regressed because the offensive line wasn't good enough because he didn't trust it and because the coaching staff didn't trust it. And when your coaching staff and your quarterback don't trust the offensive line, the quarterback is going to pay for it, and he did. I, I agree with everything you just said. I think people want to point to Trevor's regression, and I think the, the offensive line had an awful lot to do with that. I, I believe every, every syllable of what you just said. Let's move on. Let's get to the game. Two big games coming up, Pete. Uh, number one, who you like in the two games, and what do you expect? I mean, do we have a shootout uh, in Baltimore? Uh, how's this thing going to play out in your mind? By the way, um, I told you guys last week I Packers were going to win that game. <laughs> they should have won that oh, game. They sh- I was they, thinking you, of you. Me too, I was too. I, I was, was thinking too. of you, Pete, because you had game. it. Yeah, they, oh, out- man. they outplayed them for a lot of the game. I agree with you. Yeah, they get six points after when three trips inside the red zone in the first quarter. I mean, they moved up and down the field. They should have won. The kicker missed the kick. I mean, they should have won the game. There's no doubt they should have won the game. Yeah. And so I'll start with I'll start with that game since we're talking about the 49ers. But I think that game is going to get loose this week. I really do. I think you're going to see up and down. The 49ers defense in one of their better defenses. It's good, but they've had better defenses. And I think if you you can run on them a little bit. We saw that last week. We saw, you know, Arizona ran on them earlier this year. Some other teams have run on them. And if you run on them, then that sets up those shots down the field. So I I think the Lions are going to score. But I also think that the 49ers are going to score a lot. And I think in the end, they'll outscore them. It's going to be high scoring. It's going to be fun. But I think it's close. I think the 49ers win it late and uh, advance to the Super Bowl. And on the other side, give – inject that into my veins every day of the week when I get to see quarterbacks like that go against each other. But I'm not picking against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs again. I did it last week. And, and, you know, Buffalo, again, probably outplayed him, should have won the game. Uh, But in the end, it's always Patrick Mahomes making the plays when he needs to make them. And I think that's what's going to happen this week. You know that Ravens defense, they throw a ton of looks and they confused C.J. Stroud last week. Patrick Mahomes has seen it all. I think they're going to have success moving the ball, uh, and I think Spagnuolo is going to have something up his sleeve for Todd Monken and, and Lamar Jackson. It's going to be close. It's going to be fun. But in the end, I'm not picking against Patrick Mahomes again. I guess we've seen the last of Belichick, huh? Yeah. I don't know if we've seen the last of him yet, but he ain't going to be coaching this year. That's for sure. And the question becomes why. And I think the answer to that is people didn't want him in their building. You know, you go to the Falcons. Rich McKay is in that building. He probably didn't want him in there. You know, when when Belichick walks into the building, you become a threat. He's a threat. And you become, you know, your job security is is not what it was before he walked in the building. That's one thing. Two, he wants the personnel power. Can't give him that. He's been a disaster with the personnel power in New England for a lot lot of the past, you know, six, seven years. So you can't give him that. I think the job's too big for one person. And three, how committed is he? Will he be there 
in four years? Will he be there in five years? Or does he just want to come in and coach and try and get the, the Schuler record and then get out? So I think there's a lot of things at play. You mentioned, is this the end of it? You know, a year from now, he's going to be a year older. Yeah. And so you got to ask the same questions again. And would he be willing to go back in and coach and not be a personnel guy and not make the final decision? Can you imagine you, they hire a GM and Bill Belichick has to answer him on who he picks in terms of his players? That would be great to watch the entire season. Yeah, it certainly would. Pete, who made the best hire of the six that have been filled so far? Well, Harbaugh has the best job because he's got the quarterback. I mean, that that's by of all the jobs that are out there, he's got the best one. He's got Justin Herbert, and he's a great, great coach. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that guy wins everywhere he goes. He, he built, and, and we talk about a team not being physical in Jacksonville. That's what he builds everywhere he goes. He built it at, at, at San Diego. He had Josh Johnson, the quarterback, also. Even at Stanford when he had Andrew Luck, I mean, they were physical and tough and ran the ball and and, you know, Andrew Luck, I looked it up. He was like sixth in attempts in the Pac-12 senior year, sixth. That just goes to show you what he does. And, you know, J.J. McCarthy didn't throw the ball uh, much this year at Michigan. And for a guy who might be a first-round pick, and, and even at San Francisco, he schemed things up with Colin Kaepernick. They will be physical on the offensive line. They will be physical on the defensive line. And he has Justin Herbert. That's the best job. He's the best coach. It's the right fit. Pete Prisco checking in from CBS Sports. Dot com is always brought to you by Showtime. Pete, have a great weekend, man. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. Take care. All right. We'll take a break. More about these uh, terrific two games coming up after this. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Back to more of a Big Chief Tire Friday on The Frangie Show. Big Chief Tire. Hayes Carline, Lauren Brooks. RJ Saunders with you. We talked about this at the top. If the Lions win, it would be a, a magnificent story because the heritage of Detroit is an American sports city. I said this at the top. The Lions don't have great heritage, but it does, the city does. The Detroit Tigers are one of the most um, tradition-rich baseball teams. The Detroit Red Wings are one of the original, however many it is, original six, is that what it is, uh, in, in the NHL. The Pistons have great history. Uh, that city has great sports, great American sports history. It's just the Lions have never done much. And so um, that would be an amazing story. Having said that, I don't think they're going to win. If the 49ers win, it's just really a new incarnation of the 49ers being really good, just with uh, different, same uniform, same idea, a controlled passing game. Stars everywhere. Quarterback kind of manages everything. We've seen that for as long as the 49ers have had a franchise. And then the big game is that first game. I agree with what Pete said. If I could see those two play quarterback against each other, uh, I will tell you, I'm t- I think the Chiefs are going to win. you got to cut the head off the snake. I've said it a thousand times. I-, I admire the Ravens. I think the Ravens are very good. I think Lamar Jackson is the, one of the most dynamic football players in many, many years. Um, I, think the, I think we're looking at Chiefs and 49ers. Same thing Pete said. Agree or disagree? 
I disagree. I think the Ravens are going to win. I think that uh, Baltimore defense is going to be too much, even for Mahomes' greatness. And so I think he's going to be flustered. I think he's going to be hit often and early. And I don't think they're going to be able to generate much on the ground. So I think a lot of Mahomes' plays are going to be long down in distance. And, and he'll have his moments, for sure, because he's the best player in the game. But, uh, but I think, ultimately, it's going to be a tough day for him uh, going up against what the Ravens possess defensively. And, and then I think, offensively, I think uh, it's going to be a, a, it's a tough challenge for Baltimore going up against that Chiefs defense that remains underrated. But I think Lamar does enough, uh, and having Andrews back will help. Uh, so I, I think it's close, obviously, uh, but I, I think the Ravens 27-23, you know, something like that. But I, I think Baltimore wins. I do like San Francisco in, in the other game, and I think San Francisco might win by 14-17. to 17. Yeah, it does get- kind of give me that feeling too that after all the fireworks in the first game the second game by halftime we're almost going to be like maybe early third quarter gonna be like and the 49ers are pulling away I feel like Chiefs Ravens is the hardest game to pick of every game the entire season because of all the different things that they have it seems like when Mahomes needs to make a play they'll make it and they have luck on their side but at the same time the Bills ran for 182 yards against the Chiefs the Bills did that if the Bills can do that what can the Ravens do on the ground and so I I'll, at the end of the day, I'll say the Ravens win. I'll come with Hayes. But I do think it's going to be a game we talk about for years to come. Yeah, I just think the Chiefs find a way. But we'll see. We'll see what winds up happening. I am um, – everybody rooting for the Lions, would you say? We rooting I'm for the Ravens def- because because yeah. Gene's, Gene's a Ravens fan. But, I mean, Correct. everyone rooting for the Lions to, to – to, to, if you're not a fan of one of them, you're all rooting for the Lions, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm rooting for the Ravens and Lions uh, and uh, hard. I mean, this will be like <laughs> – Pulling like, like almost like purple. for a college game, yeah. I mean, even for Detroit, because I don't really like San Francisco anyway. So I mean, the fact that Detroit never done it, I mean, to me that would be awesome. Uh, so I, I mean, I, this won't be a tepid watch for me either game. I'm gonna be heavily cheering for the Ravens and heavily cheering for the Lions. It's funny. The the older I get, the more I feel like invested I am in games that don't directly affect no. me. Uh, even though, yeah, I'm anti Chiefs, but the other game. I'll be pulling for the Lions. Is there any dislike in the Jaguars fan base towards Aiden Hutchinson, even though he's done nothing wrong, but just because the Jaguars picked Trayvon over Aiden? Yeah, probably. I feel like there's just a little bit of, we don't, we want the Lions to win, but we don't want to see necessarily him succeed. Probably. I'm rooting for the Lions Lions and the Ravens, not nearly as passionately as you guys. It doesn't really matter that much to me, but, but that is who I'm rooting for. I, um, uh, because I've, I've got great respect for the Chiefs, but I've had enough. I was that way with the Patriots. Now I've had, I've had enough now of that. I um I'd like somebody to topple them, and I will tell you this: as much as I love watching Patrick Mahomes play, I think I love watching Lamar Jackson play more. As far as just watching him play, I just think he's because he. I'm telling you, on third and twelve, let me tell you what's going to happen on Sunday. There's going to be a third and twelve. Write that down. Write down third and twelve. There's going to be a third and twelve. Okay, and on third and twelve, it's going to be from the 38 yard line, right hash. Okay, and he's going to drop. He's going to get floods. It's going to look like the Chiefs are getting the ball back. You know what he's going to do? He's going to run for 17 yards. I'm just telling you, on third and 12 from the 38-yard line, Lamar's running for 17 yards. Is Mahomes there any doubt might do in your that mind? too. Well, Mahomes will too. Yeah. You're right. But, 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 Lamar, but Mahomes may not do it. Lamar's yeah. running for the 17. Lamar will definitely do it There's at a, some point. Yeah, 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 and just, Kelsey will be wide-ass open at some point during the <laughs> game and great, catch a touchdown. I don't know. The Ravens are pretty tight back yeah, there. Yeah. I, that, I mean, I, 
he does it against everybody. He, he so I, I get why, you know, you would you would think that. But I I think Baltimore is going to have a good plan and I think they're going to execute it. The uh, you made a great point earlier in the week. Why is Kelsey always do, do people not know who he is? I mean, why is he? Because he it makes no sense to me. Because, because if you're a defensive coordinator, well, find number eighty-seven well, at all times. Lauren's point earlier in the week was that 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 look, everyone blows coverages sometimes, but why does it seem like there's so many blown coverages on him? It's not like he's making a double move and the safety's falling down. It's not that. It's just you know you haven't. I mean, and maybe that's the greatness of Andy Reid, but she's right. How many times you look up and? Travis Kelsey's the guy you forgot to cover. There's no one around him. Yeah. It's, yeah I mean, it's it, happened a lot. It happens a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know that it's going to happen against Baltimore. Yeah, well, if you they, were to they, guess. Yeah, I'm not as confident in the Ravens' defense. You have the Ravens' defense is really good. But I um, I mean, I, I think – you think it's down to the wire or you think the Ravens win easy? You think no, no, no. I think it's down to the wire and, yeah. and the Ravens yeah. hold on. If you had to guess which tight end of the four teams, and really the Ravens now have two options with Mark Andrews coming back off of IR, but which tight end has the best game? So Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Sam Laporta, and then you have two options, Isaiah Likely or Mark Andrews for the Ravens. I'll say Kittle. Yeah, I'll, okay. say, I'll say Kelsey. I mean, it's okay. Kelsey, because it's Kelsey. But boy, that because Laporta's a really good player. He's really good. He's that, their leading receiver. That really Lions is, leading receiver. That, that really is a, a – if, if you count a healthy Mark Andrews, well, that's four pretty good tight ends, isn't it? And Isaiah Likely's I mean, been uh, fantastic. And he has been fantastic. I mean, but, but Mark Andrews—he's he's no, he's no Brent Strange, yeah. but he's—he's—he's he's, <laughs> he's been pretty good. But I mean, you, that's four pretty good tight ends. That's, I mean, that's pretty yeah. Good. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, college hoop. Let's talk a little bit about those Ospreys. Jay, you had a tough loss again, but they played the best team in the conference. Uh, UNF plays Eastern Kentucky tomorrow uh, for first place in the A Sun. Yeah, five and one well. versus six and zero. Oh. And Mike White comes back to Gainesville. What will that game be like? I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. My first time down there in almost 10 years to watch basketball. I'm excited about it. Uh, we'll talk about that more. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Back to more of Big Chief Tire Friday on The Frangie Show. Family owned since 1961. It's Big Chief Tire. Always a Big Chief Tire Friday here. If you need tires or any automotive services, go see our friends at Big Chief Tire. Five locations around town. They are the absolute best in the business. All right, Florida plays host to Georgia in men's basketball tomorrow, tipping off at noon. It is sold out, so that's good news for the Gators. And if Florida wins, Frank, it'll be the third or the second time that Florida has won three SEC games in a row consecutively under Todd Golden in his two years there. How about that? Yeah, and, and they and they should. I'll be. I can't. I'll be there. Now listen, I'm not gonna lie about this. I'm very disappointed in Carline. Why? Well, you had a choice to make, and um, Sophie's choice. It's Sophie's choice. Wait, he and, got invited to the basketball game? He did. Oh, and, uh, that's news to me. <laughs> and and uh, and let me tell you, because I could have gone. Yeah. <laughs> that's Lawrence. I should invite her. <laughs> I invited Carline to the basketball game, and uh, I can't believe this. I mean, life's about choices. You know, sometimes you make choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, choosing the right person to invite. <laughs> and he would rather stay here and go to his son's football game while his son is playing for the championship of the league. And he would rather. I think it's bad parenting. I mean, I, I think sometimes you, you got to call that guy out for bad parenting. You may get a call at seven a.m. <laughs> I may be yelling Omaha at the line. <laughs> no, I think it's nah. great. I think, yeah, yeah, it's, I, think well, I am sorry I'm not going to yeah, be able to go because I, I haven't been to a basketball game there since I 
I mean, yeah. covered the Gators, and I mean, you're talking 12 years ago. So, I mean, I I would love to go. I think it's you guys are gonna have a great time. It's yeah. sold out, so the environment should be spectacular, and you should see a good game. So, let me ask you this, both of you: What does Gator fan think about Mike White? Do they just hate him? Do they because because and they wanted him out, but he's out. You know, they they wanted him gone, and he left on his own, and he left and he left on his own, and he, and really he. I mean, and people say, well, he didn't leave. No, he left. He left on it. Yeah, he, he went fired. Yeah. So, so. It's the one buyout they're not paying. Yeah. yeah now, now, right. Now, they're truly glad he's not there, but I don't, I don't know that he's a guy. I mean, he's not a villain. I don't think he's a villain. No. I, I think that's how, you know, now, now you damn sure, nobody always want to beat him because he's the opponent right. and he's at the rival, but you darn sure don't want him to be better than the guy you sure. hired. So, yeah. but I, but I, so I wonder what Gator fan thinks about Mike White, mid major Mike, they used to call him. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think you appreciate his effort at Florida, and he did, you know, he delivered some nice moments. I mean, it wasn't all uh, a slog under his watch, but, you know, it did feel stale at the end. Uh, the offensive uh, malaise was consistent. You know, we always talked about it. It seemed like his shooters just lost confidence as, as the years went on. And uh, so, you know, we'll see what, what Todd Golden becomes, but I don't think there should be any animosity uh, over Mike White. Now, again, if it's like you're saying, it's sports. If he goes to Georgia and Georgia starts dominating the basketball rivalry, then, yeah, Mike White's going to be viewed differently. But I think, I think if you look at it objectively, it's, you know, he was, he was above average to good, but you're looking for great, and you know of his own volition, he chose to leave. So, but I'll give you this on Todd Golden, and this is why I think Florida fans shouldn't really feel, uh, you know, any animosity towards Mike White. They should appreciate who they have. So, the last time these two schools met, Florida won seventy-seven to sixty-seven over Georgia last season in the second meeting. Uh, this is who Florida started: Jason Jatobo, Myron wow. Jones. Will Richard, Kyle Lofton, Riley Kugel, wow. the top guys off the bench, Alex Fudge. Wow. That was your top six last year for Florida. This Florida team would beat last year's Florida team by 18 points that's consistently. A really, that's a really good point. I mean, if that doesn't tell you how far Todd Golden I, – I get that the wins and losses, it's not quite there yet in terms of – they're they're kind of on the same course they probably were on this time last year, just outside the bubble. But if you look at the talent, you can't possibly tell me that this year's team isn't far more talented. Now, he didn't have Castleton in the second meeting against Georgia, but the, the lineup I just read to you beat Georgia by 10 in the last meeting. It, to me, Todd Golden has taken this roster up a significant level, and I do believe that the wins are going to come. I think Florida fans have enough hatred targeted at the head football coach that the old basketball coach who, yeah, he coaches at Georgia. It's not like he went to a really good basketball program. If he had gone to a, a much better program, I think they ha might have more room for hate. But they're so focused on the on Billy Napier and the state of fo Florida football. I don't think they think twice about Mike White. Yeah, they're, they're, they're well, the only time, it. honestly, the, t the two times they think about him is when yeah. Florida plays Georgia, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to face Mike White. That's it. They're over it. It's beyond. Yeah. I'll say this to your point, Hayes, about the Gator basketball team. They're 13-6. and six. Of the six losses, two, I mean, one's at Tennessee, one's at home against Kentucky, 
One's to Baylor. That's three of the best teams in the country. They've lost. They've half the losses are to some of the best teams in the country. Two more are at Ole Miss, and a nail biter against Virginia, who's a recent national champion, as is Baylor. The only bad loss, really, the only is, is Wake Forest. I think it's the only. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. The, the only bad loss, the only loss they shouldn't have had was Wake Forest. Yeah, Tennessee's third in the net. Uh, Kentucky is. A little further down, they're twenty second. Uh, Baylor is fourteenth. So yeah, I mean those are three. Obviously, yeah. I mean if they if there's such a thing as a quality and, loss, and I don't care where Kentucky is in the yeah, net. exactly. Kentucky's one of the best teams in the. They country. are one yeah. of the best teams in the country. Yeah. So so they, so three so half the losses. But having said that, you got to start winning. You, yes. I mean you get you the they beat Missouri, they beat Mississippi State. You got to if if you're making the stride and you've made the next step, you got to win this game. I mean, there's, there's, is there any doubt in anybody's mind? you got to win this game. Got to win this game. Uh, Florida's 42nd in the net. They moved up a spot today. Uh, Georgia remains at 78. So, yeah, if you're 42 and you're playing at home against 78, you got to win that game if you're trying to get into the tournament. And, again, we talk about rebounding a lot with the Gators. They're plus 9.4. Georgia is minus 0.9. So, I have to think Florida's going to own the glass uh, tomorrow. And I, I think that'll be the difference in the game with their offense, the balance that they have, the edge they're going to have rebounding the ball. I, I, I think in, I, I think they're going to – I don't think they'll crush Georgia, but yeah, I, I think they'll win a game somewhere between seven to ten points. Watch out for Jabri Abdur-Rahim. I assume I'm saying that correctly. Uh, he's the one – he's the forward, uh, six eight two fifteen. He's the one that put up 36 against Kentucky. So the same type of – Attention that Florida had to Tolu Smith, I think they're going to have to have to Abdur Rahim as well. And let me say this too about this. Uh, here's why. Here's the other reason you want to win. You win this game, you get to fourteen and six, and you get over five hundred in the league at four and three. Your next three games at Kentucky, who's Kentucky? Yeah, that's a loss. At Texas A and M, who's only twelve and seven, but they've won three of their last four, including over Kentucky. They're, th- they're higher than Florida in the net, so yeah. it'd be a nice one. And, and, and that's on the road. so they are getting quad one. And then home against Auburn. So your, is, your, your next three games could all be losses. Or could all be losses. You're going to be an underdog in all three. You'll be lucky to get out at one and two. Yeah, so your next three games, you, so that's why you got to win this one. Yeah. Then, it, then it lightens up a little bit. LSU, Georgia, uh, you do have to play Alabama, who's good. But then, then, the, then the two Vanderbilt games, then the Missouri game, then the South Carolina game. So, But, I mean, because of the significance of those next three games, you have to win them all. You have to win them all. I uh, and look, I, 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 you, you made this point last time they played Lauren. They're 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 almost as good as those guards go. You know, I mean, they're big and physical. And Tyree Samuel's a nice player. Can't shoot free throws, but he's a nice player. And Lockton has his moments. Condon's going to be maybe the best of all of them by the time he's a junior. But they go as those guards go. They they really go as Pullen and Clayton go. They really do. They do, and, and look, Will Richard, I think, is, is at times going to be a really good player like we saw against Mississippi State, but I don't think that they can count on him to score in double digits every single time. But look, if Florida can increase the three-point percentage with which they make those shots, like if they can increase th- making the threes, then I think we're talking about a team that do- doesn't just make the tournament but actually could make a little run in the tournament. But that's the that's the one thing that they cannot do consistently. Yeah, so it's uh, so an important game for the Gators. I um, I'm interested. Is is I'm I'm interested. In what Kugel we get? Do we get the uh, 11 minutes three points Kugel, or do we get the uh, 28 minutes 
19-point Kugel? Because we've seen them all. We have. I'll say because he didn't do much in the in the win the other night against Mississippi State, I'll say he plays well. And he played pretty well the last time he saw Georgia, so there's probably a little bit of confidence there. So I'll say Kugel has a, has a nice night. Yeah, I agree. I'm Closer thinking, to the 19 points. Yeah, okay, good, good, good. UNF. One thing Florida's doing really well, too, is they're not turning the ball over. They've right. only had 15 turnovers in their last two games combined, which is outstanding basketball. Well, and part of that, Hayes, is limited minutes for Kugel. I think right. he's the turnover machine. Yeah. I, I think he's – I said this last week when we talked about these guys. One, what I love about Will Richards, there's no doubt what he's doing. He's catching it and letting it fly. He is, he is a catch-and-shoot guy. He is looking for his shot. I mean, he's looking for his shot even before he has the ball. Kugel doesn't know. He's, you ever notice that he's not yeah. sure what to do? He catches it. He holds it. Uh, he, he, does, he doesn't know what to do. Now, I'd rather see him catch and shoot sometimes and so because he doesn't do that. So, so, and by the way, speaking of turnovers, boy, is pulling good. Pullen leads the SEC. Did you see this? Leads the SEC and is fourth in the country in assist turnover. That's fantastic. I mean, is it like is it like forty-seven and fourteen or something like that? It's something like that. Mark Wise kept saying, "What a luxury it is for Todd Golden to have someone like Zion Pullen, yeah. who you know is going to take care of the basketball." He really, he really knows how to play. Uh, UNF is on the road, Lauren, to play against uh, Eastern Kentucky. I watched a little bit of both games last night: the UNF game and the JU game. I think UNF's going to beat Eastern Kentucky. I think they're going to. I think they're going to win the game. It'll be obviously the the toughest game on the schedule thus far, as far as a Sun play is concerned. But yeah, if they get another really good performance by their two stars, Chaz Lanier and Dorian James, then I think they're going to be well on their way. At Eastern Kentucky is a team, obviously, that not only are they undefeated in the A Sun, this is in on their home court, so it is going to be, I think. Very challenging for UNF. I won't be surprised if Eastern Kentucky wins another win. UNF lost four straight games at Florida State. That game was close. They finally lost by 16. At Georgia, lost by 18, another game they hung around in. At Miami, they ran out of gas, and they got walloped by Miami. At Stetson, Hayes, a game they outplayed Stetson and should have won the game, lost by a point when they dominated the game, and then have since won five in a row. Um, I'm telling you, man. Uh, and then we'll we'll see them on Wednesday because they're back at home to play Lipscomb. They win at Eastern Kentucky. They're going to come home and beat Lipscomb. I'm tell- I said it before. It's the best team they've had since those really good teams uh, eight or nine years ago. The stat that I am just – there's certain stats that you just can't wait to look up the next day or right, the, right. after the, the next game has been played. And UNF completely has me captivated by how dominant they are shooting the three this season. So I gave this to you guys the other day. I'll update it, and I'll probably update it between now and the end of the season every time we talk about them. So UNF leads the nation in three-pointers made. They make 12.6 on average a game, which is just ridiculously good. Uh, So they have made 264 three-pointers this year. That is 29 more than anyone else. How about that? So. We'll see if that if they get hot. They've made I 264, mean, right? They've made 264, and uh, then BYU and Indiana State have both made 235. All right, I got a stat for you. How many? Play- Let me make sure I count that right because I can't even believe it. When we were out there to do the okay. show, they had I want to say at that point because I think I know where you're going. At that point, I think they had eight players that had made at least 15 threes. It's 14 threes. 
eight players, if you can, eight players who have made fourteen. You, there was wow. actually seven is what you were talking about. Okay. Because um, they've now had they have seven players that have made at least eighteen. That was the start. Wow. They have seven players. Seven. That's awesome. That have made eighteen three pointers. Yeah. What a fun brand they, of they, basketball. They have one, two, three, four, five. They have six that have made over twenty. They have six players on their team. We're mid-season, by the way. They're like the Braves with the home, home runs. runs. They were, they yeah. UNF has six players on their team that have made 23 pointers or more. And by the way, Chaz You do Lanier, not want that coming into your gym. Yeah, yeah, right. And by the way, Chaz Lanier has made 72 of them. Wow. Out of, That's uh, crazy. I mean, Eastern it, Kentucky can really rebound, so yeah, like yeah. It, it's all going to come down to can UNF make their shot because – uh, they're not probably going to get a lot of second chances. Yeah, and I, and I, and I, again, we had this conversation with Matthew Driscoll when he was on the air with us for the Rumble. He got there. He had been he had been at Baylor with Scott Drew. He had been around it, and he and he and he said he looked up and said when he got to UNF, he was not going to have the players he was playing against for whatever reason. He wasn't going to have even the most athletic players in his league, much less in the bye game. And the only way to compete, the only way to really hang around, the only way was you better bomb threes. So he came up with that with that that plan of layups, dunks, and open threes. That that's that's the mantra. Layups, dump, layups, dunks, and open threes. And it's amazing. It's amazing how many three pointers they make. And and again, I said this about Will Richard of Florida. They are looking to shoot them. They are when they catch it. If they have a look, it's going up. Yeah, all of them. It would be so awesome if they won the A Sun because they're the kind of team that in that the days leading up to the first round, a lot of the nation would gravitate towards and sure. be like, because they'd probably come in. They're not going to be a 16 seed, right? They're going to probably come in at somewhere 14, 15 range. So I mean, we've seen upsets. I mean, now we've seen 16s beat ones, but it, it's only happened what twice. Uh, but if they're in the 14, 15 seed, they're going to be a club that the the national experts when they're asked. Okay, is there a big surprise coming? And if it is, who would you put your finger on? Those a lot of those experts are going to say, "Watch out for UNF," because mm-hmm. if if they go and make thirteen three pointers in this game, that's <laughs> that's a great equalizer. Yeah, it certainly is. And then next week, hopefully, Bryce Workman gets back for JU, and, yeah. and that'll really lift them. They were only able to score fifty nine on Eastern Kentucky. Last night, Robert McCray led the way with 21. That was good, but Yossi Powell only had five points. You're not going to win a lot of basketball games when that happens. No, you're right. And, I, and listen, Jay, I, I really like Jordan Mincy. Tough nose. Guys respond to him. He's a good basketball coach. But I will say this, and any look, he was under Mike White. And J.U. has to find some shooting. The one, the one thing I would suggest, Lauren, they play as good a defense as anybody. Mm-hmm. They have as much toughness as anybody. They rebound pound for pound as well as anybody. They play hard. I mean, they play hard. Yeah, they certainly never give up. We saw that. But they Queens. correct. But they they have to. You got to find in this day and age. You got to find some shooting, and that's and and that's what's gone wrong for Ju. You got to find some shooting. We'll see if they do. We'll take a break. Uh, back to football. One hour to go. This is ten ten XL and ninety two point five FM. The Frangie Show live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on ten ten XL. Hit back with Hastings. It's the National College Football Report, brought to you by the law firm of Woolsey Morecambe on The Frangie Show. How are we do welcome you back. It is time for the uh, National College Football Report, brought to you by Woolsey Morecambe. Frank Frangie, Hayes, Carline, and our buddy Tony Barnard. Never can get enough of Barnhart on the program. Tony, how are you, man? 
I am doing well, Frank. How about you? We are, we are doing great and uh, all kind of stuff to talk about. The college football world has changed. Tony, you and I have covered it 100 years, and I keep thinking it's not going to change again, and it changes again. Uh, ten, from 10,000 feet, we'll get into the weeds in a minute, but from 10,000 feet, uh, worse than ever, better than ever, different than ever, the portal, the NIL, the, way, the free agency in college football. How do you feel about it, big picture? Well, here's the irony of it all. Uh, Frank, is that the game that we see on the field, the game that we watch every Saturday, oh. the game itself is better than it's ever been. Right. More good players, more good coaches, more schools that have made the financial commitment to be there. What we have right now is we're going under, we're going through a transition that has been pretty much put on college football because our friends at the NCAA didn't show any leadership, which is really, so we're, we're, we've got a long way to go to deal with some of these issues, but uh, the game itself is a great game. Tony, it's Hayes Carline. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, what was your reaction to Nick Saban's retirement? What kind of legacy does he leave, and, and what will become of the tide with Kalen DeBoer, in your opinion? Well, I was surprised because I, on the t- he, he retired on Wednesday. On Tuesday, I talked to a a guy on his staff that I've known for a long time, and and they, he felt that Saban was not going to retire because if if they'd won the national championship, then yeah, he'd ride off in the sunset. But I think at the end of the day, Coach Saban decided it, for him it'd be better to leave a year too early than a year too late. And I think that had, I think I think that, and obviously the the uh, landscape had something to do with it. And the thing about uh, Kalen DeBoer is. You know he's he's won every place he's ever been, but we also have to take into account that he's he's done uh, two seasons at the Power Five level. Did a great job at Washington. So, and it really all just comes down to recruiting. When somebody comes in from another part of the country, do they understand that recruiting in the Southeastern Conference is hand-to-hand combat? It is it is something different than most coaches have done. I think he'll do well, but he's got a lot of people. Um, to replace, and it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating season to watch uh, in Tuscaloosa. I know that. Tony Barnard with us talking college football. Tony's got a great book out. We're going to get to it in a bit called "The Nineteen of Green," which is a really cool story. We've had the honor of talking to Tony about that before. Kind of one of his experiences, uh, uh, a cool part of sports. I want to get to that in a bit, but let, let me stay on football, uh, college football, for a second. What Georgia has done, Tony, is in this age of parity, I wasn't sure anybody could do it other than Alabama. Now they didn't win it last year. But I think they had the best team last year, and that's after winning it the two prior years. And mm-hmm. I think they're going to start ranked first next year. How has Kirby Smart, in this era of parity, built a program that's better than everybody else's? Frank, if, you know, if you had to draw up a, a, a blueprint on how to build a football program, it would it would be exactly what Kirby Smart has done. Of course, it starts with players. And they were at Georgia. They recruited at a very, very high level, uh, top three just about every year. And so they, and what was interesting when they won the championship in 2021? Wow, they can't repeat. Not only did they repeat, I think they were better in 2022 than they were in 2021. So you, you first you do it with players, then you hire very good coaches. And Kirby Smart has shown that he is he he knows about hiring good coaches, managing them, and how to manage players. And so he, but he's done it. By doing all the things you're supposed to do, very obviously he learned from his 11 years with Nick Saban, but now he's uh, he's got the best program in college football. There's not there's no doubt about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Tony, what kind of patience should Florida have with Billy Napier? What what does he have to do, in your opinion, to get to the 25 season? Well, I think in Florida they've got to show that things are headed in the right direction. And I thought they would be a little bit better last year. I knew the first year they would struggle because of the roster. And so they, they need to show that things are getting better uh, and they're headed in the right direction. And, again, it all comes down to recruiting. But I think this is the, the Florida fans, if they don't win seven or eight games this year, I think the Florida fans are going to get incredibly impatient. I think Billy Napier is a good good coach. I really do. But they've got to show it on the recruiting front and everything. I don't follow recruiting that closely, but the people who do, the smart people who do say he has done, he's done a very good job over the last 12 to 14 months. Tony, how about the Knowles? And the Knowles back, 13-0. and I thought they should have been in the playoff. I was outspoken about that. Um, they didn't get in. They lost a lot of guys in the portal. Now they're getting a lot of guys in the portal. Has Mike Norvell got that thing back? I think he does. Uh, they were very – Mike Norvell is a very good football coach. And I I, I just think they, they're back where they want to be now. Obviously, they've got to maneuver through all of this silliness with the, the Atlantic Coast Conference and sort of figure out how that's going to work. But uh, yeah, I think I think they I think he does have that program back in the right direction. Tony, we don't often talk about Ole Miss, uh, but man, it looks like Lane Kiffin could be building something really special this season. Could the Rebels, in your opinion, could they be in the playoff and possibly even contend for the SEC? Uh, they absolutely could because of what what they've done. Obviously, with, with Jackson Dart coming back at uh, quarterback, they've got and the receivers they've got, they've got. Uh, an incredible, <coughs> excuse me, incredible offense, and he is uh, for the people who follow this. He is the king of the transfer portal. So they're gonna they're gonna have it. And remember this, and get, people forget about this: there are no divisions in the SEC. All right, it, it's it is one long one grouping of sixteen teams, and so you know uh, you're not gonna have the same schedule that you've had in the past. And I think they are. I think they are capable. They they are a playoff caliber team right now, in my opinion. So what about the league? I mean, Texas and Oklahoma come calling. Georgia's still great. We really don't know what Alabama's going to be. I'm not sure I know what LSU is. Uh, Tony, I I think Brian Kelly did a great job last year with Jaden Daniels. So uh, give me a give me a, off the top of your head top four, five, six power poll there. Georgia won. We all know that. No, I, then what? I think I, then I what? think I think I think Georgia's one right now. I'd probably say Ole Miss two, okay. LSU three, Alabama four. Because we just we don't know we don't know about Alabama, but I think those uh, those clubs are going to be there. I'm anxious to see what Missouri does yeah. after the year they had last year. Can they do that again? Because they listen, they were very good down the stretch, and they gave Georgia all they wanted uh, at the end of the year. So. But those those are the teams. It's just that we we don't know about LSU. My gut tells me that LSU is going to bounce back and be, be be really good. But we just don't we just don't know about Alabama. Tony, are you surprised that Dabo Swinney is still so reluctant to do anything in the portal? I'm I'm shocked, particularly after seeing the success that FSU has had and getting passed by them. That that Clemson is still just not a player when it comes to the transfer portal. That is surprising because look when you, when you're at when you're at if you're a Clemson or an Alabama or a Georgia, uh, what what you're able to do with the portal is you're able to go and spot recruit where areas of need like the old days they used to use 
uh, junior college players to do that. They would find if they had a, a deficiency, they would go out and get one. And to me, I don't, you know, that's why I'm waiting to see what LS, what Ole Miss is going to do. I'm, I don't believe you could make a living off the transfer portal. I think it's there to supplement your roster. And uh, so, and but the fact that Dabo won't dabble there, I, I I think you're passing up an opportunity to be to get some difference makers uh, in your program and build up. Tony Barnard with us. Uh, we're talking college football, so we'll see more from National College Football Report. All right, we finally got to 12 teams, Tony. Uh, how does it change everything? Uh, to me, it took way too long to get here, but, heck, we're here. The, the beauty is that now we have a seven, we have a 12-team playoff. How will it be received? Will it be as awesome as we think it'll be? What, what, what are the pitfalls? How do you see this thing playing out? Oh, I think it's going to be great. I mean, because what happens is, <coughs> excuse me, what happens is, is more people get an opportunity. And here's what's going to be different. You know, this year we get to the end of the regular season, and there are, you know, maybe eight teams that could be in the discussion for one of those four playoff spots. Well, with 12 playoff spots, we're going to be talking about 20, 20 teams or more that have an opportunity. The other part of it is the fact that the top four seeds in the tournament get a bye. They get to take a week off, and five, six, seven, and eight are going to get to play a playoff game at home. And I think I just think it's going to be it's going to be really cool to have more people involved. Now, people are going to complain if there's some blowouts in the first round, but I'm not worried about that. I I think the idea of having this many teams involved is just going to be really, really cool. Absolutely. I can't wait. Tony, tell us all about your new book, The 19 of Green. Well, uh, back in the fall of 1970, about, you know, 800 years ago, when Frank, <laughs> Frank and I first started yeah, covering did. That's exactly uh, right. <laughs> uh, fall of 1970, I played on the first ever integrated team at my high school, Green County High School in Greensboro, Georgia. If you get on I-20 in Atlanta, headed east toward Augusta when you're halfway there, you jump off and you see the note for Greensboro, Georgia. But in, in the fall of 1970, the courts ruled that there was a white high school and a black high school in my county, Green County High School, Floyd T. Curry. The courts ruled that they would have to integrate fully and completely uh, for the fall of 1970. So this is a story about those guys uh, on that team. We, you know, we, with two schools merging, we said, man, this is going to be great. We're going to have 60 guys on the team. We're going to be awesome. When spring practice was over, we had 19 guys, 12 white, seven black. And that's what we went. And, and this is a story about that season, but it's really not about football. It's about the bonding uh, that went on between that group of guys. We all came from different backgrounds. And it was it was just a really cool experience. I, I found there were 16 of us still living. I interviewed all 16 guys, all the living coaches, uh, administrators, townspeople, and all that, and just did the story of what that season was all about. And it was such a gratifying experience. A lot of these guys I hadn't spoken to in 40 or 50 years, and to be able to sit down with them and kind of go figure out what their life was and all that. And we are uh, we are very happy with the way the book turned out. Yes, remember the Titans, a real-life version. Of course, remember the Titans is real life, too, but it was a Georgia version of the Virginia story that was Remember the Titans. And I, we had you on before to talk about this book. And for people that don't know, Tony's a magnificent author, so you're going to love this book. And I mean that very sincerely. Apart from the fact that we're very good friends, he really is. What effect did that 
tracking those guys down have effect on you? What what effect did that have on you, Tony? How do how do sometimes when you when you get involved in a project, we all know this, it changes you and it and it and it, it does some cool things. Tell us about what that process was like every time you talked to one of those uh, former teammates. I realized how lucky I have been in my life to come from my hometown. I live in a suburb of Greensboro. I call it Union Point, 1,500 people. And to be able to, you know, most of us, we give, we don't have that opportunity to relive, to retrace our steps in life. We're so busy in the fact that, uh, that I was able to do that. And it was also the fact that I got reacquainted again with the quarterback on that team, Charles Turner, who we had stayed in touch over the years, but uh, he was basically a co-author on the book, wrote the uh, wrote the forward, and we spent a lot of time together. He went with me on my first three or four book signings, and just that whole experience has been great. And now Charles and I, we he's got six grandchildren, I've got two, and that's what we spend our time talking about now. And it, but the whole experience just made me very grateful and realized how lucky I have been in my life and in my career. That's really cool stuff. Tony and I have been covering college football together since the early 80s, and uh, it's a pleasure every time we get to do it again. So, uh, Tony, I appreciate it, brother. Uh, thanks for coming on. We can't wait to, for people to buy the book. You can get it on Amazon, I assume, right, Tony? That's Absolutely. Am- go to Amazon, just do a search on uh, 19 of green, and it'll pop right up there. You'll be awfully glad you did. Tony Barnard, uh, Mr. College Football, nobody knows it better. Tony, thanks for spending some time, man. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Enjoyed it. Take care. All right. Tony Barnhart. Uh, Tony and I, he's been covering college football together since the early. Really, I got out of college in 1980 and uh, got to know Tony pretty pretty soon thereafter. He's two years older. And then um, got to be really good friends in 88 when I covered Georgia. I covered the Georgia beat, and he was on it for the Atlanta Constitution and Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We got to be really good buddies then. He was a sort of a mentor of sorts. For in the, he knew that college football space better than I did. You know, I, I had covered stuff around here, mm-hmm. covered, covered high schools, junior colleges. Ultimately, I'd get to be the Gator beat writer, but I'd never covered a big-time college. There was no, there was no Jaguars then. Right. And I had knew, didn't know what I was doing. And so I got on the Georgia beat. And I just I didn't. Claude Felton was so much help, and mm-hmm. and so many some of the other writers, uh, Tom, you know, that, that were that were uh, Thomas O'Toole. You probably know Thomas O'Toole's name, but he was back then. So so many of those guys really kind of guided me, and and Tony was a uh, foremost among those. So it was a really cool story. It is, and and he is a great writer. Southern Fried Football is a great book too, great book. Uh, great about book. SEC football, and and so yeah, it's uh, you can't go wrong with the Tony Barnhart book. Uh, that's the uh, Wolves and Morecambe College Football Report. Back in a moment. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. It's a Big Chief Tire Friday on The Frangie Show. For all of your tires and automotive service needs, it's Big Chief Tires. Little white snake on this Friday. What do you think of when you hear the song, Hiss? Ah, Tawny Katan, rest in peace, you sweet, sweet soul. Never would have thought that. What's that? Never would have thought that. <laughs> Does that surprise you? Tawny Katan, yeah. that car. Yeah, uh, one of the hottest videos ever. Maybe the hottest. It might be Maybe the hottest video ever, yeah. All right, so a week ago, the Times Union Dave Bowerline put out a story that the Jacksonville Jaguars are having conversations with their architectural and construction team for a potential to play games during the 2026 season at Everbank Field with a reduced capacity. 
more along the lines of 40 some odd thousand versus the 70,000 that was pretty much the average this past season. And then in 2027, they would not be able to have the games at Everbank. They would have to go elsewhere. I feel like this plan, Frank, is going to be ideal for the majority of season ticket holders. I think one of the best things that Lamping, Mark Lamping did, Lauren, was when he did the, 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 the community. The, the town hall meetings. The, the, the town hall meetings. He asked people, we're, 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 let me explain to you what, where we are, mm-hmm. what the plan is, and what do, you, what, do you want to, what, do you want, what do you want us to do here? We want, everybody knows you need a new stadium. Nobody debates that. Nobody debates the fact that the stadium needs to be changed and, and renovated and whatever. They also know that you can't do that in six months. So there's going to be some inconvenience of, of uh, fan inconvenience involved here. So I think one of the things, Hayes, that Mark asked was, do you want us to four years and we're renovating it the whole time? Do you want us to do two years and, and leave town? And, and I think what he heard a lot of was, let's, let's be gone from Jacksonville as little as possible, which is what I think kind of led to this. I think, I think if, you, if we're trying to be gone from Jacksonville as little as possible, the best way to find a way to do that is play under construction one year and then only be gone for, for the other year. And I think that's what they're kind of working toward, given all of that. Absolutely. And then the other element to it is the alternative site and the possibilities there. The swamp, we know Florida wants to redo the swamp. So is that stadium available? It may not be. Uh, Orlando is going to invest in their stadium. Is, is their facility going to be ready? Daytona is a really fun destination. Can it hold up for an entire season? Uh, you know, particularly when you know they're not going to be able to host in the playoffs if the team was good enough to to do that because of uh, obviously the the racing schedule. So some of it too, I think, is just logistically. If you can shave off a year of having to be somewhere else, then it's easier to piece the puzzle together with the whatever becomes of the alternate site of of where you're having to go. Um, you know, I, I've heard a lot of, and I've thought about it too, of, you know, could they play four games in London in one season? I don't think you're going to see that because the international break for soccer just isn't long enough to do that. So I don't, I, you know, you, you're probably going to see them play, obviously, one game is the home team, and you might see them play one game as the road team. Uh, that could become the new norm. But I don't think you're going to see them take like four home games to London in the years where they can't play here or the year they can't play here because the the window just isn't long. It's not open long mm-hmm. enough for uh, Wembley and Tottenham to be available. Yeah, I think the two years sounded like a good plan if that was going to be less expensive than the other options. But if you can come up with the one year away from the stadium and it's still not as expensive – then I think that is a great option because, Frank, what we've learned is so much can change in one season, from one season to the next. A lot can change, and you really don't want your football team gone for two seasons. Well, what I like is I, I was fine with two seasons, but I do think it's not. it shouldn't be up to me. It should be up to the fans to at least say what they want. And the, the, if the fans – look, I was fine with two seasons, but we all would prefer one. Sure. You know, you'd, all, you'd all prefer one if you could. And again, I would think I'm the guy calling the game. My my experience isn't going to be much different, but the fans' experience is going to be different. Mm-hmm. The capacity is going to be forty four thousand. They say if it's one year, somewhere thereabouts. 
uh, as opposed to 69000 I think he could handle that for one year. So I think what, like Mark Lamping said in the story in the Times Union uh, a week or so ago, look, if our fans understand now, if our fans would prefer a 44,000-seat experience in Jacksonville to a 70,000-seat experience in Gainesville or Orlando, okay, that, that's your call. So I, I think the, mo- the most important thing, Hayes, here is you got to get a deal done. Not, this, it's a moot point until there's an agreement. Once there's an agreement, then you can figure out where you're playing in the interim. And I, and I understand that's part of the agreement. But until there's an agreement, in, at least in concept, none of it really matters. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I was, uh, I mean, you know, we, we've all been really confident that the deal will get done. And, and I think that that remains our belief. But one cool thing that I saw uh, this week is uh, uh, Mayor Deegan was talking with uh, John Bachman. And uh, Jean was watching it, and she pulled me in to see it. And uh, Mayor Deegan said something that I thought was really interesting. She said that when this deal is done, they're going to do another round of the town halls, which is good because, to me, if you've already talked about doing town halls, that means you're anticipating there is a deal that is going to happen. So, again, that's the kind of positive talk that you like to see. And, and I can't commend both sides enough on this. This has been the cleanest negotiation. No one, there hasn't been any saber rattling. There's been absolutely no name calling. It's been professional on all sides. And that has been beautiful to see. And my hope is that it will remain that way. And I am confident that it will remain that way. I think Mayor Mayor Deegan has done a tremendous job with with every facet so far. And I do think this absolutely will get done. I think I had some trepidation, Frank, very early on, years ago early on, uh, long before it was Mayor Curry to, to Mayor Deegan transition, just because at times when you throw billions of dollars around, taxpayers get scared and nervous, and that's a lot of money. And there's other increases elsewhere, whether it's schools or roads or all those things. But I think everyone at this point is on board. I shouldn't say everyone. I think a large majority of people are on board. There will, there was, there's a. I said this before. There's always going to be the same pushback in every market, not just Jacksonville. Here's what's going to happen: a civic group, some civic group's going to come up and say, "Why would we spend the billions of dollars? Why are we giving a billion dollars to the billionaire when we've got the potholes?" That's going to happen. Then the local political columnist in every city is going to say, shame on the city for giving all this money to the football team uh, when there's more important needs, governmental needs. Then the local college is going to do the survey, and the survey is going to look like people don't want it because they're going to ask everybody. And, well, we've gone through all that. Those are three or four rounds of pushback. Now, when the deal gets close again or when it gets done, Hayes will see those same rounds again. The civic group, the political columnists, the – the local universities, that's all going to happen. It happens again. And then once you're through the second round of it, then you, then you, then you announce your stadium. That's what will happen. But I agree with what Lauren said and what you said. There hasn't been much of that right now. Now, we're not, we're not publicly down the line on a lot of it, but uh, there hasn't been much. I agree with you. There hasn't been much of that. Yeah, and, and again, I, I don't think you're going to see anything that's going to get the attention of the national media or anything like that. I think it's going to be one of the smoother – negotiations that that we've seen uh, a city have with a professional organization that is uh, 
building a new stadium. And, and again, it's a great plan. I mean, it, it's not just a football stadium. It is a complex. It, it, it's going to bring a vitality there. I mean, there, there's so many interwebs that are going to connect the community, and, and it's going to benefit so many people beyond the Jaguars and Jaguar fans. And uh, it's incredibly exciting, and it's going to light a spark of success for this city for 25 years. I mean, this is going to be a phenomenal investment. And again, not that, you know, we're, we're having to defend the deal or anything, but I'll go back to what I said, you know, in the summer, uh, no city ever on record has built a stadium and said, boy, <laughs> we're, you know, we opened this thing three or sure four years ago. If only we hadn't built this stadium, you know, we'd have some nice things around here. No one's ever said that. If you invest in your city, you will be rewarded for it. And that is what this is. We'll take a break. When we come back, Lauren wraps the program with news and notes. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. What's going on in the world? It's time for Frangie Show news and notes. Here's Lauren Brooks. You know well, I'm a chicken fry. Cold beer on a Friday night, a pair of jeans that fit just right, and the radio. That's right, Zach Brown Band and Chicken Fried Means the weekend is almost here for us. I'm sure many of you have already started. Frank, what will you be watching this weekend? Well, well you should ask. Best bet what to watch is always brought to you by my friends at the Best Bet. Don't forget now, uh, $280 No Limit Hold'em satellites into the winter open are happening this week at Best Bet Jacksonville. All kind of fun stuff. Head to Best Bet Jacksonville. That's on Monument Road. Best Bet Orange Park on State Road 17. And, of course, uh, on I-95 right there off the interstate. That beautiful new St. Augustine location. Head there today. You, you can watch all kind of games there. They've got great TVs, great food, great sushi. And you'll have a lot of fun uh, playing those games at the Best Bet. Pretty easy. Back-to-back on Sunday. Lock in from about 3 o'clock to about 9 o'clock. Man, are those games going to be fun. The first one's the best one. That's the one I'm locking in. If there's one thing to watch, watch Kansas City at Baltimore. The, the nightcap is, isn't so bad either. Detroit at San Francisco. It's all about the NFL, baby. What a watch that'll be. What to watch brought to you by Best Bet. The NFL from 3 to 9 on Sunday. Absolutely. All right, I asked Pete Prisco this question earlier, who made the best hire as far as the NFL, the six jobs that have been filled he, of course, went with Jim Harbaugh. That's, the I think, the fairly easy answer. So I'll ask you, second best hire. Who made the second best hire as and far that, as the six That clubs? is a great call because yeah. they're, they're all kind of lumped in there together for me. Um, so I don't have one that jumps off the page. Uh, I would say the one I like the most is probably Antonio Pierce. Okay. He's got a little D'Amico Ryans in him. I think, uh, I think those players know him. Uh, the other ones are more crapshoots for me. So I'll go Harbaugh one so far. Uh, probably for me, Antonio Pierce. I would go Pierce too as well because he already has the locker room. You know, he's already got the buy-in. I mean, Crosby and Adams were both adamant that he needed to be the hire, so that automatically is going to give him a leg up. And 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 he coached nine games, so uh, they're not really starting from scratch when when he gets in front of them for the first time as the head coach and not the interim. So I th- I think it's Pierce. I think that was smart of the Raiders. They didn't go with the interim last time that it had done well. They ended up hiring Josh McDaniels, and obviously that didn't work out. So 
Yeah, I think they they went in the right direction there. Um, and uh, you know, I I will say this: getting back to uh, what to watch, boy, I I used to I really did enjoy the Loser Monday AFC NFC yeah. title game ones. I, like I'm gonna miss that. I like, almost thought about doing starting yeah. Loser Monday again and doing. I it. didn't even think about it until yeah, we you just all, for some all. reason the way you kind of brought up the games, I was <laughs> I, like. Oh man, yeah. we used to do like the draft I, and for I thought about it early in the week. Yeah. I said what well, since it's usually the last one. Right. We kick it off and make it the first one, but um, I thought against it. Yeah. But I thought about it. It ran through my <laughs> mind, I can tell you that. Uh that would have been fun for y'all. A lot of fun <laughs> for y'all. I'll never forget uh Raheem Mostert got hurt when he played for the 49ers. I had him on my NFC championship or on my team of the NFC championship. Hayes, what was your text to Frank that was so excited that he got hurt? Something like zero points that I got or something along those lines? I think it had a curse word. There's, no, there's no chance I could possibly remember it, but if yeah. I did. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh it might have been ZFP. I, I don't, know, I don't know what that yeah, means. Yeah, zero bleeping points. ZF point B. I mean, it might have been what it That's why I said it would have been fun for y'all. I can't say if I remember that or not. but I think that was the first time we did it, and and that was when I was – I think I kind of hoarded the kickers. So, I think I think it was – I think maybe because of that, you know, if you have a kicker, you're not going to get shut out. Although, Gibby's kicker got hurt last year. Well, yeah, and then Gibby had – that's right. Gibby had the first pick and took Gould. It's also funny as long as it's not me losing. Yeah, you're right, because that year was you losing – well, it's kind of funny. The uh, at one point we were at Gators Dockside, mm-hmm. and you had been there early. We did late, and we kind of oh, looked at right. we just kind of looked at our phones, and it was, I think it was twenty six, twenty four, twenty one, zero. Yeah, I think that's what the points were. And you're still smiling. We about got it. a little chuckle out of that, <laughs> to be honest with you. If we're being you honest, remember the text. Uh, uh, the Eagles are interviewing former Jaguars defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell for their linebackers position under new defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. Of course, Caldwell interviewed for the defensive coordinator position for the Eagles. Did not get it. Yeah, I, I think I think Mike's a good football coach. I don't know if he's ready to be a coordinator. I, I think he was okay, but did a better job the first year than the second, maybe. Um, and I think he might get another chance, Hayes, to be a coordinator. But I think right now he's a damn good linebackers coach, and I think he's going to land at one of those jobs. Wouldn't be surprised if it's this one. Well, and I think it's if if this happens, I think it's great for Mike because obviously he's learned from Todd Bowles, who's a gifted defensive mind. Vic Fangio is is certainly in that category as well. So. Uh, you know, it's he's still young enough in his career that there's something to be said for, you know, being an apprentice and, and, and learning from somebody who really knows how to do it at a high level. And I'm sure the experience Mike had here will benefit him in the future. But, yeah, it, it probably he's doing the right thing. You know, uh, decelerate a little bit, take a take a position job like this and then hope you you build it back up and, and you have a good run. And he's going to a, a place that obviously has a nice roster has a chance to win, uh, so there's going to be a, a tension on, on the coaches, and, and maybe he gets a, a second chance to be a coordinator. All right, when it comes to the AFC-NFC championship games themselves, I've got five most impactful players for each game. I think it's fairly obvious the impactful players, at least three of them, for the AFC championship game, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Travis Kelsey. Here are the other two. This comes from NFL.com. Ravens safety Kyle Hamilton – I'm assuming that they think he'll have to cover Kelsey some. And Ravens linebacker Roquan Smith. About two good players. Two, so real, two really good players. Keep uh, an eye on them. Yeah, and you could have picked whoever. You could have picked Mark Andrews or you could have picked Isaiah Pacheco. But, yeah, they're uh, all five impactful, no doubting that. I think Zay Flowers is going to be really okay. fascinating to see. Kansas City, again, defensively they've been outstanding. Zay Flowers, he's a rookie. Uh, so, obviously, you know, this is a, a big a big game, big spotlight game, chance to go to the Super Bowl. 
but he's been unflappable so far. I mean, this season. I mean, he's been outstanding. He's incredibly quick, and he is a he. He'd be a matchup problem for anybody. But I'm curious to see how Kansas City is able to defend him, and can they tackle him once he gets the ball? Because if Zay Flowers is able to break some explosive yard after catch plays, you know that could be the difference in this game. So if they can contain Zay Flowers, I think they can bottle up Baltimore pretty pretty good level. If Zay Flowers has 90 yards receiving, I think it's it's going to be a Ravens win. Yeah, and I think, like I said earlier, Isaiah Likely could be a, a huge matchup depending on how much Mark Andrews plays, obviously coming off of injury. For the NFC Championship game, obviously the quarterbacks, Jared Goff, Brock Purdy. Surprisingly, in this group, in this listing, Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle are not mentioned, so I'll give you the other three that actually are. The, they say Lions cornerback Ifatu Melifonwu. And then 49ers linebacker Dre Greenlaw and 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel, which it does look like he'll play. All good players. The ultimate impactful guy in that game is McCaffrey. I mean, if McCaffrey, the best chance the Lions, if the Lions neutralize McCaffrey, the Lions are going to upset him. I mean, so, so McCaffrey might be the most important guy in the game. Well, and, I, and I'll say this San Francisco has so many players. After seeing him here live for the first time, right. I, and I almost never lock in on def- defenders. I yep. just, because I'm so offensive oriented Me too. Fred Warner yeah. is unbelievable really good player I mean he is incredible to watch he was incredible to watch in the Green Bay game now mm-hmm. they had success early and I do think Pete's right I think Green Bay should have won the game but Fred Warner is a wrecking crew yeah on helmets and heels we pick impact players he was mine uh, as far as the defensive side of the ball my offensive player was Brandon Ayuk because I think Yes, all the attention goes to McCaffrey and Kittle, and that's well and good, but Ayuk makes some huge plays uh, when they need them most, especially if Purdy isn't playing super well. Did you realize, Frank, when it comes to college football, Steve Sarkeesian is the only college football playoff head coach returning to his team next season? I did realize that. It's pretty amazing that three of the four are not there, we, we, that, that, that Harbaugh, Saban, and DeBoer are all at a different place, it's, it, which is really bizarre, isn't it? But, yeah, a cra- crazy way – uh, for the for the last four game playoff to end, it really is wild. Hayes, did you get excited about former Washington safety Aza Turner? I mean, I smell Thorpe award <laughs> well, now that I he's mean, headed to Florida. Uh, yeah, I think he smells Thorpe Heisman Natty. I think that's, that's the tribe. <laughs> I mean, he's the, the really next one. Charles Woodson. I mean, he is. I mean, in all seriousness, he will help he, them. He's a good player. He I mean, they them. needed a veteran savvy player at safety. They've gotten it now a couple in the portal. I mean, again. I, they were starting two true freshmen Correct. safeties yeah, they at the would. end of last year. They, they, why, I mean, why don't you just handcuff yourself? He should coach the game with his hands handcuffed <laughs> yeah. behind his back uh, if you're going to start uh, two true freshman safeties I, I totally, at this level. Totally agree with that. When I saw this guy, I don't know. My guess is actually he's pretty good. But even if he wasn't, they need more of those 23-year – I've been saying – I've been screaming this since the season ended. They need more of those 23-year-old guys. This this guy, and by the way, the picture, he's, he's a long-haired guy. Yeah. He looks like he's about 29. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they need more guys that look like they're 29. This guy, you know, um, yeah, he, I think he's a good player. He was a roadie for Fleetwood Mass. <laughs> he's, I mean. he's got that look, doesn't <laughs> yeah. he? He really does. And finally, tonight, 645 ESPN2, a top-10 matchup. It's not on Friday Night Heights, like I said, on ESPN2, mm. not SEC Network. You've got number eight, Florida, playing host to number six, Alabama in gymnastics. Last year's meet was incredible. Florida was able to win thanks to two tens on Florida. Florida's not nearly as good as they have been in the past, but it should be a fun. fun Are they meet. good? 
Florida uh, good. Eighth in the country versus usually second. So there's certainly a drop off. Trinity Thomas not back? No. She used all of her eligibility, but she is a GA. So oh, she's that's a cool. grad assistant. Um, so you'll see her. Uh, not that y'all will watch, but if you were to watch, you would see her there uh, cheering on the gym. What's the uh, spread? Uh, I would assume that Alabama would be favored, but I've never actually looked at a spread for mm-hmm. a meet. Yeah. So we, I don't know how that works. How are we looking on the beam? Uh, <laughs> last week, not good, even though we were able to beat Auburn. It was, uh, it had a lot of nervous moments for those Florida gymnasts or Florida gymnastics fans out there, including me. Some wobbles, Frank, almost a fall Ooh, off you don't the beam. Never have a wobble on the beam. Wobbles are not good. That's a concern. Thankfully, Auburn, two of their gymnasts, uh, two mm. of their better gymnasts, stepped out of bounds on floor at a home meet, which wow. you never see. And so uh, Florida was able to win and take down Auburn, and that was good news. Time now for today's takeaways. Now, today's takeaways, brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. All right, Trent Baalke got us all upset for a couple days, but let's just enjoy the weekend. Let's enjoy football. We've got only three games left of the NFL season, and – Soak it up. So be safe. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the games. Go Ravens. Go Lions. Yeah, I think uh, if you're a Jaguars fan, you can finally focus on how exciting the football is because you weren't in this uh, Final Four last year. We've we've made it through all the painful memories. Uh, so certainly, yeah, Sunday is going to be an absolute blast. If the Ravens can beat the Chiefs, my goodness, it's going to be quite the legacy game for Lamar Jackson. But I'm with Hayes. Go Ravens. Go Lions. Let's say hello to Rick Ballou. Now, the two-minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers. Equal opportunity employer. Big Sunday, Ballou. Oh. Big Sunday. Oh, yeah. I mean, if Jameis Ready is for it. at the sports bar, I'm going to guess. I'm guessing. I'm only guessing here. I guess. Nah, it no. might be a recovery day. Uh, recovery day. Big tournament tomorrow. A couple of my knucklehead yeah. friends are getting uh, – uh, they're not getting they, – they're getting another birthday. Okay. okay. I mean, they're having one, whether they want it or not. So you, so you, so you have birthday golf tomorrow. So we got seven foursomes. How about that? Out at uh, Cimarron, which uh, yeah. one of our new sponsors, they've just done a phenomenal job. 28 players. Um, oh, yeah, my cool. South African-American friend Kenny, uh, Tracy, and a bunch of other knuckleheads. A um, couple of uh, – couple of um, – Important people. Yeah. I don't want to throw them out there yet. Okay. Okay. Because okay? I don't want masses and masses yeah, of women to yeah, show up and yeah, interrupt no us during our tea time. Totally understand it. Yeah. But it's going to be, uh, it's supposed <laughs> to be like 82 degrees. Yeah. So you're going to play 28 of you playing golf. Uh huh. You're going to have a drink after you say, oh, is that, man. that what you're the, suggesting the, here? Brand new uh, clubhouse with uh, entertainment after and yeah. and steak and, and scotch Ooh. and, uh, and well, all that, that good uh, stuff. Just, just a Saturday in January. Oh, That's how Baloo rolls. It's another Saturday in January for Baloo. It's, uh, so Sunday is going to be a recovery day, okay. I have a feeling. I okay, but it's going to be a lot of fun to see these two games. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, okay. what's coming up tonight? We uh, tonight we got a lot of good stuff as well, uh, including check the money on both those games. Um, that'll be with the Philly Rooster in 40 minutes. I'm hoping on a uh, a big guest in our second hour. Still waiting patiently, t- checking the phone. That could come in, but I got a couple of good topics as well. And you know, the bottom line is, it feels like. Duval is back. We had some bad weather. It is supposed to be yeah. spectacular this weekend, so I'm really excited about everything. If, 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 the, if the Rooster and the Godfather had a fight in the parking lot, who wins? Uh, I mean, just went. I, just, I mean, you broke it. Well, so the Rooster's go. up early. Okay. Okay, so he'll get after okay. it, but yeah. come on. 
The Godfather's packing. Okay. You think the Godfather fights fair? He's going to come out with a piece and cap him right there in the parking lot. Give me the Godfather, 100 to 1. Rayful goes into the night. That comes up right now. Folks, that's our program. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday. Same bad time, same bad channel. For Hayes, Lauren, and RJ, I'm Frank Francis. So long.